Welcome to SEC Unfiltered, home of the best SEC content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Prize Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry guys. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sports entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports. Pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of, they have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews as well. Guys, so many fans and listeners of SEC Unfiltered have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. Well, so again, go download the Price Picks app or go to PricePicks.com, and when you do, use the promo code SECU to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from SEC Unfiltered sent you. Let's get it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Talking spring practice, talking off-season roster movement, talking college football, specifically SEC football. I'll ask you this. When it comes to spring ball and it comes to spring games, how much do you really take away? Like, what are you looking for in terms of – because I think we're all – here's what we're trying to do, I feel like, Blaine. We're all trying to read in between the lines. We're all trying to read in between the lines 
of what a coach is saying. And I, and I do think there are times based off of, you know, you hear the OC and the DC speak, you hear the head coach speak, hey, maybe this guy's popping off in spring ball or this guy. But at the same time, especially when we're talking spring games, you have to take it with a grain of salt because I feel like, Blaine, no matter the team, Every single year, there's that guy that goes off for like 150 receiving yards and two or three touchdowns, or he's got a pick six, or it's a quarterback that goes like seven for nine for 89 yards, and they never see the field again. And like you never hear their name again. And I'm not calling those guys out, but I think spring game stars are a thing. And out with some other cases, I think there's some guys that put up gaudy numbers and they end up being superstars. So for you, what is your ap- approach when it comes to spring ball? Are, are you, you know, we're all invested, obviously, but are you taking it all with a grain of salt? Are you, like, h- how do you approach it without drawing it as conclusion, if you will? I think, one, you got to look at just, okay, how much depth is created, and and in that, how much injuries, luck or bad luck, do you have during spring? Mm-hmm. Listen, you can have non-contact stuff. You can have everything go down. It starts... When that first practice goes on and you're in pads for the first time and things of that nature and you're fitting up, anything can go wrong. And you got to have some luck on your side to to win and win at a high level. And that's the first thing. How What teams can come out of spring healthy? The other ones is who has a quarterback. Some already have. Who has a quarterback that they know is processing at a high level? I don't, I don't care what you do in the – in the spring game necessarily other than are you making good decisions with the football are you getting from read to read or if it's an rpo deal are you making the right read on that now we can't we don't know the play call things like that we can't always go back and, and and look at those things but if it looks like the ball is getting out on time and there's there's good rhythm between wide receivers tight ends quarterbacks uh if if running backs look like they're seeing the whole well you know the good vision things of that nature that's really all you can kind of go go from because and then tackling on defense just tackling okay because they're not going to show a whole lot it's not going to be uh you know a ton of motion a ton of shifts trades you know tempo things like that it's going to be let's line up in our base stuff Let's go good on good. Let's see what happens here. Uh, let's get these twos and threes some experience. But if you can tackle well, no missed tackles on the defensive side, and you're doing things fundamentally well on offense, I think that's what you want to see. When there's a lot of, you know, penalties and a lot of, uh, you know, missed throws and, and things of that nature that are that are not as a result of inaccuracy, but of timing and things like that, then there's worry. Okay, so be healthy and also just execute the basics at a high level. Blaine, is there a guy that you can recall, whether it be whatever team it is, but is there a guy you can recall that you felt like during his stay on campus was that spring game star, even if it's a one-year sample size? Like, I I can recall, you know, thinking back to South Carolina, there were a couple receivers that had big games that you never heard from again. I mean, heck, last year, uh, and I won't say his name specifically by name because he's still on the roster, but – you know, popped off in the spring game at the edge position, really didn't do anything, you know, this previous season. Is there anybody that you can recall that you just remember having a monster spring game and you just never heard from them again? 
I mean, well, you kind of heard from him a little bit early on in Georgia's season last year, but Makai Muse was a guy that just went nuts, yeah. and then he, he had some plays early. He's now at Syracuse, I believe. I, I don't know exactly where he, he transferred out to, to somewhere else. But when it comes down to it, I don't know about the bad, but you can see some of the good. And here's a player that has made his way. He's now going to the NFL, but he went to two SEC schools now with Texas coming in, Adane Mitchell. Adane Mitchell showed up early as a – uh, as a true freshman at Georgia and played in that spring, and everybody knew in that spring game, this is the real deal. This guy is the dude. So you can see that level of competition uh, who who just, you know, rises to it immediately. And I think you're going to see some of those young cats, same with Brock Bowers, uh, things like that for Georgia in the past. And I'm sure there's countless other examples across the entire SEC but I'm just telling you, you can see some of those young guys. It's sink or swim right away getting thrown into it, and some of them uh, start swimming in a hurry. So, Blaine, with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into, again, we're breaking down all 16 SEC teams, talking spring practice, storylines, what have you, previewing everything with spring ball going into, and I'm sure some of these camps are starting in just a couple weeks. Spring games, of course, will be early and mid-April. We'll start. We're going to go through alphabetical order. The Alabama Crimson Tide, and the first storyline is a big one, and an easy one, Blaine, as already – Ryan Grubb, what he last? A couple weeks, right? He's headed to the Seattle Seahawks. I think you mentioned, too, off-air, the offensive line coach is now gone. It sounds like promotion could come from within. Of course, Kirby Moore has been a name thrown around from Mizzou. There's been others, but it sounds like this promotion could come from within. But there's already a ton of change going on in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban hanging it up. Kalen DeBoer gets the job. Then he begins to assemble his staff, and already – He's got to make a change in the coordinator spot. It's been a rough last month or so for Alabama fans. Your thoughts on Grubb taking this job? And again, this is a guy that's been with DeBoer seemingly every single step of the way. Uh, and them also waiting until the final day of the portal being open late in that day. Interesting. Interesting move, yeah. to say the least. But uh, Calculated. Calculated indeed. I, I think, you know, to, to be fair, I think you've got to be somewhat calculated in this transfer portal era and you know, guys can up and leave, so I think coaches have to be strategic. But all in all, thoughts on what is Alabama going to do in the offensive side of the football? Because, again, spring ball is about to start. You know, you've got pieces on the offensive side. I know Bama was gutted by the portal, but they don't have a play caller right now, at least one that's officially named. The thoughts on the latest fallout with this grub situation? Yeah, I mean, I think that – First, Kalen DeBoer is is someone who's going to have his system in place. So I don't think it's as – I mean, it's a big deal because Ryan Grubb was calling plays, okay? I mean, he was the the, the play caller at Washington. Uh, DeBoer, like I said, heavily involved. But you know as well as I do, Chris, it's just now to the point where if you're a head coach, unless you're just, I mean, up there and maybe, maybe DeBoer is, but if you're up there and proven done it with the play calling level of also being a head coach of like a Lane Kiffin – uh, you know, like a Steve Sarkeesian, it's just tough with all the NIL and everything else going on that you have to manage the, the the roster movement, all that kind of stuff, particularly when there's a big transition like going from Saban uh, to the DeBoer era. So, you know, what they're talking about here and when we see reports out here, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN saying that Scott Huff is 
likely the OL coach likely to leave. So that's even bigger now, okay, because you got Grubb gone, and now Scott Huff is going to follow him to the Seattle Seahawks. So that's two coaches, a coordinator, coordinator, quarterback coach, and an offensive line coach gone that you're going to now have to replace. They're talking about moving Nick Sheridan, the tight ends coach, to coaching quarterbacks and being the play caller, but he's going to be co-OC with Jamarcus Shepard, wide receivers coach there, according to reports out there from ESPN. And that's that's not settled, but that's what they're they're leaning towards doing. I looked into Sheridan a little bit. He was the offensive coordinator at Indiana uh, for a season. It then followed uh, where DeBoer was, and then followed DeBoer to to Washington. After that, once DeBoer left, it kind of, they were kind of a year apart there. So he has called plays before, uh, but doesn't have a ton of experience when it comes to that. Although Rittenberg at ESPN here is saying that Sheridan could be the play caller going forward. I think the biggest thing is now you not only have to deal with at least with Ryan Grubb, you knew what you were getting if you were Kalen DeBoer. You knew how you worked with him in terms of a whether he was a kind of like an author, a ghostwriter of a book, or he was actually the author of the book. You know, you knew what you were getting. Now you've got to work this relationship with Sheridan in that role. And we all of it, all of it, Chris, is the biggest thing is how does Jalen Milrow fit into this system that is more geared on pocket, throwing the ball down the field intermediate crossing routes, things of that nature. And, you know, his athleticism is really what Tommy Reese started to take advantage of middle to late in the season. So I'm, I'm just fascinated to see how it all works out. But getting an offensive line coach and now getting a tight ends coach, if they do make that move, is going to be paramount. And you got to get that done in a matter of days. Blaine, I think change is the word of the spring for Alabama. And I, I don't know if there's a spring game that I'm more intrigued to watch than this one because it's 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 crazy how in just a month's time, I mean, this Alabama football team, this entire program, it looks completely different than it did a month ago. From Nick Saban's retirement, the you know, the changes in regards to the roster, the portal gutted this football team. Alabama, Blaine, ranks 115th in college football. Bill Connolly releasing his yearly SP Plus returning production rankings, which, you know, I think a lot of fan bases, they take offense to this because, you know, some will say, well, just because we have X amount of percentage returning, it doesn't mean Y. Well, you're right. It doesn't, but it does help, right? Missouri last year had, what, 80% of experience returning? We should have seen the breakout season coming probably. If you have a lower amount, it doesn't guarantee a bad year, but there's a lot of change. Alabama Blaine, 115th in college football with returning production, 44%. 44 yeah. So a lot of change in Tuscaloosa. Uh, starts at the top with Kalen DeBoer, of course. I, I wonder if Julian Sayan had not left, I wonder if Jalen Milrose, even your starting quarterback. I really do. I think there – do you think there's a legitimate quarterback battle – in Tuscaloosa. I mean, again, you lose Julian Sayan, but you have to wonder. I, I had questions about Jalen Milrow and could they win a national championship with Jalen Milrow, even if nothing changed and Nick Saban was back and everything was status quo. Now, with all these moving pieces, I felt good about Ryan Grubb and them tapping into his skill set and getting the most out of him. But I mean, I, I just, I don't know, Blaine, because I, I, I had my doubts about Jalen Milrow already. 
I thought those doubts were exposed at times last year. You look at the numbers. I mean, he was impressive. He's a fantastic athlete. But I don't think it's unfair to say there's a real quarterback battle. Well, I just wonder who that would be. I mean, is Ty Simpson going to be that guy? Dylan Lonegren had some really good things said about him at spring last year. But I, I think right now, based on the – here's one thing for, for Kalen. The only reason I'd push back a little bit on it is because there is no doubt, zero doubt, that Jalen Milrow is the leader of that team in terms of the emotional tie of it. And that – DeBoer is already coming in and all that change that you talked about and all that that just equity that Saban had built up over decades and and you know been been there and change and all this kind of stuff. It might be that you just have to say, hey, we're going to assimilate him to this offense the best we possibly can. We're gonna, you know, we're going to be malleable as coaches and we're gonna adapt our system to fit his strengths and really bring him along in the other areas because everybody believes in him so much link and all that kind of stuff you know i mean it's a it's it's a real deal that the the presence there that he has as a leader and and some of the things he was able to do for alabama so i don't think we can discount that but my question is you know that it will be a big deal because if he is going to use his his legs and things like that the sec is a physical league you're one play away from needing so who can be that backup guy if or the guy that can push him and it's really going to be a battle between dylan lonegren uh, and Ty Simpson. So, you know, uh, I think uh, Eli Holstein, he he hit the portal. He's out. So um, it's really going to be those two, and especially with Julian saying gone. So Lonegren's a talented kid now. I will tell you this. If he doesn't end up playing at Alabama in the next year or so, and, of course, Austin Mack came over from, from Washington, who knows? People say that he's really talented. We'll see if he ends up being that guy. He's got familiarity with DeBoer. But – I would think those other two guys have have a shot. I will say this: if Dylan Lonergan doesn't end up getting to play at Alabama over the next year or two, you're going to hear his name somewhere else, and he's going to be talented. And it'll either be a starting quarterback for a college football team, or he's going to be uh, a high draft pick in the MLB because the dude can. I mean, he's sitting mid nineties uh, on the mound, and he, and he he's got a got a nasty breaking pitch as well. So, uh, really talented kid. We'll see if, what he ends up doing. And you make a great point, Blaine, back to Jalen Milrow. You know, I think for Kalen DeBoer, one of your top priorities early on is continuing to earn the trust and the respect of your locker room, of your football team. I, I do agree with you to a point that, I mean, I think it should be open competition, but Jalen oh, yeah. Milrow is is that guy to, to where if you bench him, you do risk how is the rest of my football team going to respond to this, a guy who's been a – a leader. He's selfless. We saw last year in the South Florida game, right? He got benched. He came back. Uh, I, I thought that was really courageous, and I thought it was really admirable the way he responded to that adversity. So, to your point, I think they stick with him. Defensively, too, Blaine. I mean, again, how much can we really learn? What will we see in the spring game? This is going to continue to be a storyline going into kickoff, but I mean, you've got Kane Womack on the defensive side, who was really good as a head coach at South Alabama. Defenses were fantastic. All the football folks I talk to, they rave about this guy. They talk about how great he is. He's a great recruiter. His defenses, the, the the schemes, the systems, what have you, really young secondary. We mentioned the word change. They brought in those three five-star signees. Caleb Downs has gone to Ohio State. Um, we're, I'm so used to saying, Blaine, with Alabama that, you know, yesterday's bench players are tomorrow's stars, but 
you know, they're going to be asking a lot of young guys to make a lot of big plays early on. Good news is, though, you've got these early enrollees. But, I mean, it's a new-look secondary and a lot of new pieces for Kane Womack to, uh, to put together. Listen to these names. Jameer, Jameer Grimsley, who was a highly touted high school kid and never even got going, he's at Florida now. Caleb Downs, Ohio State. Trey Amos, Ole Miss. Jake Pope, Georgia. Des Ricks, Texas A&M. Anton- Antonio Kite, Auburn. Earl Little. Junior goes to FSU, Christian Story, Kentucky, Terron Arnold, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Jalen Key, all to the NFL. You lose all of those guys. The only guy you got coming back with any kind of experience, Malachi Moore, uh, really that edge, Jalil Hurley a little bit, Devontae Smith a little bit. The rest of these guys, no no experience, brand new as freshmen. You got Damani Jackson coming in who – Listen, Demonte Jackson's gonna have to, uh, you know, get that Alex Grinch stench off of him uh, over there from <laughs> USC coming over because don't know what's going on with that. But man, it is going to be that is something we are going to be able to see in the spring. Are there busted coverages? You know, you can see that clearly uh, in a spring game if there's a busted coverage by a young kid not doing what he's supposed to on the back end, and especially when you have to subdivide this secondary and, and turn it into two different teams and stuff like that. We're going to see some MAs. We're going to see some missed assignments. We're going to see some stuff like that. I want to see these guys be able to tackle in the secondary. I want to see them uh, just not bust coverages, and I think that's all you can ask for if you're Alabama right now in the spring with that young secondary, but they ought to be very, very talented up front. Uh, Still got a lot of talent up front. Deontay Lawson coming back at the linebacker position, he's going to have to be a just true, true leader there for for, uh, Kane Womack and and all those guys, so I'm excited to see it. Excited to see how this Alabama defense is going to kind of mature during this spring because there is going to be a lot of youth. And you mentioned, Blaine, the line of scrimmage. A lot of talent, a lot of question marks. They were not good last year, historically bad. You mentioned losing the O-line coach. That's a huge loss. We cannot overstate how big of a loss this is. Blaine, we're going to do this for every single team. One player that you're most excited to hear about, and we can have the same answers because I went back and forth on this. I mean, it's got to be Jalen Milrow, man. I'm just – I'm I'm uh, – fascinated to hear how he's adjusting to you know a, a new scheme how he's adjusting to things with Kalen DeBoer also his leadership right I think this is going to be a guy they're going to talk about a lot again whether it's in press conferences media availability whatever and then of course watching in the spring game don't know how much he'll play but is there a guy other than Jalen Milrow that you're excited to, to hear about that you're excited to hear this coaching staff uh, dive into detail on how he's doing in spring or or do you go with the Alabama QB one no, I, I think I, I'm excited to see what Justice Haynes does uh, because Justice Haynes is a guy that I think could have and probably should have gotten a lot of carries last year for Alabama, okay? I think he's the most talented running back on that on that roster, really. Uh, but he, you know, Saban's loyal, was loyal to guys that stuck around and played and, and did things like that. And now uh, Justice Haynes gets his opportunity, I believe, this year. Him and Jam Miller kind of uh, – kind of 1A, 1B for me, if if there's going to be a time, I don't care how high-flying you are, Chris, or how open your offense is or things of that nature, there's going to be a time in the SEC where you've got to run the football, whether it's four minutes at the end of the day, end of the game, close something out, stuff like that. And Justice Haynes is a guy who in high school was getting the ball 35, 40 times a game. I'm telling you, he's, he's a dude, and, and he's got that pedigree. He's got the fire. He's got the hunger. I think you'll – you'll see big things out of him and Jim Miller for Alabama this year. 
Blaine, let's go to Fayetteville as the Arkansas Razorbacks will hit the field for spring ball. I am fascinated to watch how does this work with Sam Pittman and Bobby Petrino. Bobby P is back in Fayetteville, baby. Taylor Green, that era begins under center, the Boise State transfer. But Hog fans are holding on, Blaine, for dear life that the Sam Pittman era is going to work. And the reason is because Bobby Petrino is back. And this is, Blaine, this is such a fascinating thing because, dare I say it, <laughs> could we come, life comes full circle. And Sam Pittman's replacement, if things go south, is on the staff in Bobby. Like, it's just going to be wild to me. So, excited to hear about how the offense is going. Ex like, there's not going to be probably a coordinator in the SEC I'm more excited to hear from than Bobby Petrino. J just, he's a fascinating guy. You know what I mean? He's an offensive guru, was adding him last year. That thing with Jimbo was a complete mess. But I'm so happy he's back in Fayetteville. And I, and I really hope he can be the answer. But thoughts on Bobby P being back in Fayetteville and just like this dynamic with, with Pittman and Bobby Petrino is obviously they come into a year where Pittman is trying to save his job. Oh, yeah. I, but, I, but I will tell you this. I think looking at their schedule, I know we're just talking about schedules. Mm -hmm. We're not just talking about schedules. We're talking about spring. I think they could open. I think they could open up the year three and one, maybe four and zero. Oh. Just depends on how Bobby P, Bobby P's calling things with Taylor Green there. And I know we're going to get to him in a minute. Mm -hmm. I think Arkansas addressed the needs that they needed over there at offensive line, especially at left tackle. Uh, and we'll get to Florida later, but. Florida is taking a guy in Devin Manuel who struggled at left tackle for Arkansas last year. Now they get Fernando Carmona, who was the best tackle in the – other than Caden Green, was the best tackle in the transfer portal, in my opinion. A guy from San Jose State that had a PFF grade. And I know PFF's not the end-all, beat-all. PFF grade up in the 80s. But this dude, I watched his film, and to be six foot five, 330, he absolutely – can bend, he can strike, he is nasty in the run game, and he is able to move his feet and protect in the pass game. I think that's going to be big for a guy like Taylor Green. Taylor Green also has the the wheels. And we've listen, there's a guy that Bobby Petrino coached that he's done a few good things in, in his career, you know, like Lamar Jackson just won another MVP. Uh, so I think Taylor Green, he's that kind of exciting player. Like he he makes some dynamic runs. I'm telling you, he he is absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. He's got to develop as a passer. I think he's a, the low 60s, the best he's ever been pass completion. And Bobby Petrino will have to help clear things up for him. But I'm excited to see that Arkansas uh, offensive lines improvement because that was their that was their downfall last year. They couldn't they couldn't run the football. Uh, they couldn't protect. KJ Jefferson, uh, and now he says, you know, bump this. I'm going to uh, play over there with the Gus Bus over at UCF. Uh, they got a brand new center in Addison Nichols, who comes over from Tennessee. Didn't play a whole lot at Tennessee. Josh Braun returns. They got uh, Kayshawn Blackstock that comes over from Michigan State. So two transplants there at at, uh, at tackles, but they got Tykeus Crawford coming back. I think it that's going to be a big improvement. And then Jaquindon Jackson, who comes over from Utah, you know a Utah running back now is going to bring the thunder. He's going to bring the hammer because Kyle Whittingham has just got the – he's just that kind of dude. And, you know, Jaquindon Jackson coming in there is going to help him out as well. So these transfers, 
transfers and new OC for Arkansas. It's going to be exciting. And then the, the receivers return for the most part. And Blaine, you mentioned the offensive line, right? Arkansas was one of those teams last year that, and there were a lot in the SEC where you look at the teams at the bottom of the league, the ones really struggling, they had troubles on the offensive line. Like there were a lot of teams last year, I thought, for whatever reason that struggled on the line of scrimmage. Arkansas was no exception. Now they begin life after KJ Jefferson, after Rocket Sanders, who's now at South Carolina. Uh, Taylon Green. Does he not feel like KJ Jefferson 2.0 to a degree? Like I like I'm putting all it's the respect on KJ's master. name, but well, I mean they they like the same build. You mentioned he's a great runner, struggles with the football. Like blind resume test. That feels like KJ Jefferson to me. Yeah, I mean he, but he. I think he's a little bit better. Uh, I say this better of an athlete. I think you know he he's he. This guy's six six two twenty one, and you know KJ's got a few more you know, a few more pounds on him in terms of, in terms of being maybe 15, 20 pounds heavier at different times. But when it comes down to it, Taylor Green's got some acceleration to him. I think KJ Jefferson actually may be a little bit better of a passer. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think he's got to develop and Bobby Petrino is going to have to uh, do some things to make, make it easy for him early in terms of his, his development as a passer. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the athleticism and being able to put the ball in their hands and say, hey, go get a couple yards, I think Taylor Green is obviously capable of doing that. But it doesn't matter if he's Superman with a with a cape on his back. If they can't defend people from just coming through like a sieve, if they can't block it, okay, uh, over there in the pass protection and they can't get things going uh, on the run blocking as well for Jaquinda Jackson, for Isaiah Augusta, of all these guys they have in the backfield, then it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But I think Taylor Green uh, has that piece. And like I said, I, I am confident in the, in the offensive line. I think for Fernando Carmona was a great pickup. I think Addison Nichols is going to be a tremendous – Addison Nichols at center not only will win – in terms of physical, but his mental acuity is something that is going to be better. This kid is borderline genius. Okay, he is he is a very 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 smart young man. Uh, comes out of Greater Greater Atlanta Christian, I believe in, in in Georgia. So I mean, he's got a good good background. Uh, I think he's going to be a big big pickup there for um, for Arkansas. And you mentioned those additions on the offensive line, Blaine. And, you know, I think if if anybody can get it fixed, it's Sam Pittman, right? The boss hog himself. I mean, this guy, he's an offensive line guy. He's an offensive line guru. I was shocked to see what we saw last year on the field. And I, I think the spring game, again, you, you know, fans ask themselves, what can we take away? It just needs to look the part, right? And I think developing depth is going to be key this spring. But I, I think – do you win when you get off the bus? Is the unit starting to gel? Is the unit starting to come together? Are you finding the best five? Uh, when it comes, Blaine, to one player you're excited to hear about, uh, who's that guy for you? I'll start. I'll go linebacker Xavier Sori. And again, this is probably a name you're familiar with because he's a Georgia transfer. You lose Pooh Paul Jr. to the transfer portal. He goes to Ole Miss. Who's going to fill in that void? Sori, a guy, again, I think highly talented. He's going to have an opportunity this spring, I think, to emerge, to shine. I think there's going to be a battle at that linebacker spot. Who is the guy you're most excited to hear about this spring out of the Arkansas camp? I, I'm telling you, I love Fernando Carmona. That that left tackle, if he can just solidify that position for them where they really struggled last year, I think that that's going to be a huge, huge deal 
for Arkansas going forward. This guy had his own burrito named after after him out there in, in a couple of restaurants out there in uh, in San Jose, okay? One of only two guys out there on San Jose State's to have an NIL deal, all right? he He's not used to – he's not shy from – uh, marketing himself from being out there, a charismatic guy, but he also gets it done on the field. I think Fernando Carmona is going to be great, fit right in there with Sam Pittman. And Blaine, wanted to mention this before we get out of, off of Arkansas. You mentioned the transfer portal, how pivotal it was. Arkansas 109th in returning production, just ahead of Bama, 46%. So again, a new look Hogs team replacing QB1, replacing RB1, replacing a lot of the offensive line. But after you go four and eight, Blaine, I don't think that can be such a such a bad thing after all. To the Plains, let's talk Auburn Tigers. Many camps out there, Blaine, right? Their quarterback position is one of the top storylines. I think this one's no different, right? There are more weapons. What Hugh Freeze did in recruiting, adding so many fantastic pieces at the wide receiver position. I, I don't know what Hugh's thinking with Peyton Thorne, man. M maybe there's something that I don't see in Peyton Thorne. I'm not a Peyton Thorne guy. If I had any Peyton Thorne stock left, I sold it late last year. I know folks will say bowl games don't matter, but that was an embarrassment to what we saw in the Music City Bowl against Maryland. I don't think it's going to define the tenure, just like the New Mexico State game won't define it, but it was very much a mixed bag, right? You had that New Mexico State-Maryland game. You had the tight ball games against Georgia and Alabama. I think folks are wondering which they get more of this year, but I think it all starts playing at the quarterback position, right? We need to hear about the continued progression, the growth from Peyton Thorne, because, you know, losing is an unforgivable sin, but losing and having a bad offense when you're Hugh Freeze and that's supposed to be your bread and butter, that's not going to sit very well with the folks in the Plains for very long. Uh, thoughts on Peyton Thorne as QB1 and just thoughts on what you're expecting to hear about this offense this spring. Well, the, you mentioned the weapons. Just having Cam Coleman, who they're bringing in as a freshman, is going to be an upgrade from anything they had last year right away. I think uh, in terms of a guy that you could look to see a big leap forward and a guy who has reason for Auburn fans to have some hope, even last year is Rivaldo Fairweather, some of the plays that he made at the tight end position. He's an absolute monster. So just being able to get the ball to him effectively – you know, I think when it comes down to it in terms of Peyton Thorne, a lot of it was, hey, my wide receivers are getting their tails whooped and I they get no separation, and it made him make decisions that he has shown in the past at Michigan State that he normally would not make. So I'm going to give him a little bit of leeway here and say, listen, at least – he has been in the fires of the SEC, whereas Hank Brown and Walker White have not. And, you know, yeah, should he have a short leash? Maybe so. And, and get Hank Brown and, and Walker White, whichever one wins that, that number two position, get them ready as quick as you can because you never know what's going to happen. Like I said, you're one play away from needing somebody. But when it comes down to it, I think just having those weapons, having guys coming in like Perry Thompson. I mean, they had two five-star receivers, Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson. They, they flipped Perry Thompson from Alabama, and, and he signed with them. Coleman's going to be early enrollee. I don't think Perry Thompson is, so that may hurt his development early on in the offense a little bit. But when it comes down to it, um, I think you're, you're going to see a, a 
more explosive Auburn offense. We know what they can do running the football. I think we need to see some improvement out of Jay Fair. Uh, Caleb Burton comes in. Robert Lewis comes in. Let me tell you something about Robert Lewis from the Sun Belt, okay? They play good football in the Sun Belt. At Georgia Southern, this guy was electrifying, and he's going to be electrifying at Auburn as well. So many more weapons, many more options. I think that gives Peyton Thorne a little bit of hope, and at least he's been in the battles of the SEC, like I said. And also, by the way, um, this Philip Montgomery experience, that, that experiment, that's done. Okay, Hugh says, I'm calling the plays. I'm the captain now is what, is what Hugh said. <laughs> so I think uh, he's gonna. that's going to be a big boost for Auburn as well. Yeah, Blaine, hearing about how that's going with Hugh Freeze taking over the reins, and I think that was the right move, right? It's it's raise your hand, let's tell everybody what you're good at. Hey, let's all do that, right? I think Hugh Freeze, that's what he's doing. Auburn ranks 50th, Blaine, in college football returning experience, 65%. Get this, 74% of that production or 74% of the offensive production is coming back. That's 27th in college football. Just 55% on defense, though. 78. Defense was the thing that kept them in a lot of games. Of course, a new era begins, which, by the way, Hugh Freeze just cleaned a house. Some guys got got rid of some other guys. Now it's Charles Kelly who takes over as the co-defensive coordinator. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm expecting the offense playing to be better, but Certainly the defense continuing to make strides. And, and you think about the great Auburn teams of the past, and it just felt like like when I think of Auburn football, I think of really nasty defense. I think of great defensive fronts. I think that's got to be part of this Auburn football program for them to get back to what all Auburn fans want to see. Really excited to see Charles Kelly, his impact on that Auburn defense, and just kind of what that looks like. And I think seeing guys flying around in that spring game hearing how Hugh Freeze is talking about it. Because I think Hugh Freeze is a guy you can read between the lines. I recall Blaine last year at SEC Media Days. I mean, I was listening to him, and I heard him say, be patient with us, right? And I just thought, he's telling his own fan base and telling college football, we got some things we like. It's going to take some time. I think that's what you saw in the field last year. So I'm excited to see how that defense progresses. And and when we get our first look in the spring, I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you one thing. If there's a person, let's say the United States government needs somebody to go in and interrogate a terrorist to see if they're telling the truth or not and find out what's going on so they can get pertinent information and try to uh, end something before it happens, I say send Charles Kelly in because if there's a guy who after you know this year will be able to understand truth from fiction, BS from non-BS, after working with Deion Sanders and now working with Hugh Freeze, Charles Kelly's going to be that guy. He'll know. He'll know one way or the another okay but what i'm telling you is charles kelly's going to bring a toughness he's going to bring uh that relationship with players that i don't know that ron roberts was necessarily able to do he's got sec ties or ron roberts was coming over from the big 12 so i think you know it's a great move over there on the defensive side of things yeah they're replacing some some key guys but eugene asante comes back at linebacker Austin Keys comes back he was injured a lot of the years they they've got Kedrick Falk coming back Jalen McLeod coming back I mean lots of guys up front the secondary with Keontae Scott I mean could it get any more hey here is an Auburn Tiger when you look up the definition of an Auburn Tiger Keontae Scott's picture should come up he is a hard nose go after you you know, constantly doesn't say a whole lot, just goes and makes plays type guy. And I think him coming back is huge. They get Antonio Kite coming over, uh, of course, from 
from Alabama. Who would have thought a player going from Auburn from Alabama to Auburn? I mean, that's just the world we live in these days. <laughs> but overall, overall, yeah, they got some things to work out. But I think Charles Kelly's going to bring that great, just more connectivity, more uh, more of that connection piece with from the coordinator to the players on defense and allow Hugh's going to say, hey, you go do you, Charles. And I don't think he could necessarily do that with Ron Roberts, okay? I think uh, Ron Roberts was more kind of dependent on uh, Dave Aranda that, on Baylor as more of a sounding board and things like that. And, and we saw it was just a little bit different. Auburn's defense played great at times, okay? But I think now Hugh focusing on offense, he needed somebody that he could say, hey, I trust you to take the ball and just run with it. And uh, that's what Charles Kelly's going to do for that defense. Blaine, the player I'm most excited to hear about when it comes to Auburn, I, I got to go with Cam Coleman, man. You mentioned the new weapons, obviously the great five-star wide receiver, the way he's progressing, the highlight plays he's making. That's going to be a huge boost for that offense and just hearing about how he's coming along, watching him in the spring game. I cannot wait to just hear from Hugh Freeze himself about the special talent that Cam Coleman is. Who is it for you, the Auburn Tiger, that you're most excited to hear this coaching staff talk about during during spring ball? Yeah, I think uh, maybe, you know, we talked about the secondary and having some guys coming back in terms of Keontae Scott, but I think a guy coming over from Texas in Jaron Thompson is a guy that, listen, if you're going to be elite on defense – Okay, in the in the SEC, you need a guy at safety who can do a little bit of everything. He's going to come down, strike you in the run game. Is not going to get not going to get beat over the top. Uh, can match up with some of these monster tight ends that that you know different teams have, like like Georgia and and all these other other teams that are out there that have these big tight ends. Texas has got a Mari like now. You need somebody who can jump in there and play well at safety. And I think Jaron Thompson is going to be asked to do that right away for Auburn. So I want to see how he does. And I want to see how Kay and Lee develops across the other side from Keontae Scott. Uh, we know what Keontae Scott is. How does Kay and Lee uh, kind of fit into things over there at Auburn? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Blaine, let's go to Gainesville, right? We've already talked about Sam Pittman. Now we talk about Billy Napier, the other hot seat, truly boiling hot seat in the SEC. A pivotal spring begins for the Florida Gators. QB1 is back in Graham Mertz. That's the good news. Eugene Wilson on the outside gives him a great threat. Those guys are way better, I think, than anybody expected last year. But who steps up around them? There's no more Ricky Pearsall, right? He's gone to the NFL. There's no more Trevor Etienne. He's gone to Georgia, right? The arch rival, the times we live in. It's about finding other weapons, Blaine. Also, too, at the quarterback position, I think a lot of Gator fans are, I don't want to say unfairly, but I think if you're sitting there worrying about DJ Lagway and clamoring for him, it's great to be excited. You're worried about the wrong things, though, right? Because it's about for Florida. This spring is a great opportunity for Billy Napier, that Gators offense. you got to find some other weapons to help out Graham Mertz because he was the surprise of the league to me, Blaine, last year. I had Graham Mertz ranked 14th in the SEC. I was like, who is this bum they got from Wisconsin? He's going to get eaten alive. He was the furthest thing from Florida's problems last year, but he's got to have some help. Hell yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got to have some help. Uh, I, that was a people can't you can't overstate how big of a blow it was of Trevor Etienne. Now, listen, I know some people are going to argue. Well, you know, they didn't utilize him enough, anyways. Didn't give him enough carries, and I would agree with that. And that's partly the reason his mom came out on on X and said that's part of the reason he left. He didn't get enough utilization there at, at Florida. He was splitting too many carries with Montreal Johnson, and Montreal Johnson is going to have to have somebody that can back him up. Trayon Webb is a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He's a Swiss Army knife type guy. He can line up in the slot. Okay, he he caught a ton at, at, at Trinity Christian. He caught a ton of passes. Yeah, he can run outside the tackles, inside the tackles. I think uh, Trayon Webb is a guy who's going to have to make a big step forward. Over at the receiver position, we know what we got in Eugene Wilson, a bona fide star, but you got to have somebody else to come along so they can't key in on him, and I think – whether it's Marcus Burke, Khalil Jackson, or Andy Jean, all three guys who have been there, somebody needs to take that step forward. Somebody needs to be the guy that is going to be consistent and that, that Graham Mertz can rely upon. You know, at the tight end position, uh, I don't think – I mean, Boardingham made some plays towards the end of the year last year, and I think that's something that, that Billy Napier would like to have more involved in the offense, quite honestly, is the tight end as, as a threat, but – you know, when it comes down to it, uh, the the offensive line uh, is going to be – they're piecing it together, man. I mean, they lost a, a Guacan. They got to move Jake Slaughter to, to, to center. Devin Manuel, like I said, comes over from Arkansas. Who knows how that's going to work out. Damian George, he didn't work out at Alabama. He played there at Florida last year, so he's going to return. We'll see uh, inexperience at, at right tackle. So, a lot – of pieces to kind of fit around on in terms of the running game, and you need some people to step up around them. Other than Montreal Johnson and Graham Mertz, we really don't know what we have in anybody on that Florida offense. And Blaine, you mentioned the importance of navigating spring practice healthy, right? Staying healthy. There may not be a position group that needs to do that more this spring than the Florida offensive line. Because you mentioned, it's already shaky what you got starting. And you got virtually nothing behind the The reason those guys are starting is because you don't have a plethora of high-quality depth behind them. So you got to get through spring healthy. 
I mean, a lot of it is luck, but I think there's things you can obviously do to take care of your guys and make sure you're not putting them. Heck, I don't know if I'd play the starting five in the spring game, Blaine. I, I mean, you're to that point. Like, if Florida has a guy or two go down with that schedule, and of course, we got a long ways to go. We'll talk about preview, all that good stuff. But the over-under you mentioned came out. It's at five and a half. So, they're not expecting a whole lot from Florida. I think most of us aren't expecting a lot from Florida. If they're going to overachieve, that offensive line's probably going to have to overachieve. Because if they can, I like Graham Merch. You mentioned Eugene Wilson, and it's Florida. I, I just, maybe I'm still stuck in the ways of thinking about, okay, Florida football's supposed to be good. I feel like somebody's going to step up. I will tell you, I like Boardingham at Titan a lot to be sort of a breakout star for them. But that thing can't even get off the ground if the offensive line can't get out of spring healthy and have a positive spring. Like, there's no position group at Florida. That's probably one of the top position groups in the SEC that needs a positive spring. Uh, something else, Blaine, that I'm I'm excited to see or looking forward to. We all recall last year, right, that spring game that Florida had. Lane Kiffin trolled the Florida Gators on social media. What was it, like 7-6 to six in, the, yeah. in the third quarter, late third, early fourth, something like that. And every day, Blaine, that I get on social media, and I'm sure you shed a tear about this being a Georgia guy, every day I get on social media, I swear, I'm seeing another Florida fan, another Florida entity. Like, they are going through it when it goes to yeah. Billy Napier. Like, people that have been supporting him for, and I guess he hadn't been there that long, but people that were staunch defenders of Billy Napier this time last year are like, I'm done. I, I, I can't support you any longer. Like, I, I, I can't keep fighting this fight. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard the phrase win the spring game, but at this point, Billy Napier needs to win everything he can, right? Like, your spring game can't be another mockery because it'll just be like another thing going against you. I'm curious if Billy tries to make the spring game more of a show this year. And that may sound insignificant to some, but that Florida fan base, I think that's something that that is pretty important at this point. So you're telling me that he's not going to let Austin Armstrong just blitz <laughs> just, the ever-living piss out of all Engage eight every play. Just engage I mean, just, eight, man. <laughs> I mean, Kmart Kirby went, uh, went ham yeah. over there. Yeah. I'm just telling you, Austin yeah. Armstrong went nuts in that spring game just bringing the house and it made it made that offense look as bad as they could possibly look and listen they had some decent moments uh last last year you know beating Tennessee at home and, and things like that but it's just not to the level listen there's few programs in the country that once They've been to a certain place. You cannot turn back the expectations, and Florida is one of those. It is in the elite of the elite realm of college football in terms of the expectations, what Steve Spurrier did, what Urban Meyer did. Heck, what Dan Mullen was doing when they fired him and when he was, you know, he was going to SEC championship games and taking Alabama to the absolute brink, okay? So I think when it comes down to it, this is do or die. And it is the toughest situation you could possibly be in uh, if you're Billy Napier. That schedule is just tougher than, I mean, it, it is so ridiculous. Kirby it, Smart it, himself put that schedule together. I'm convinced. Yeah, Kirby Smart, <laughs> Satan, I mean, whoever, I don't know. Mike but Norvell, was, all of Florida's rivals came together and put that. I don't think they could have created a schedule. Yeah. I don't know if they're evil enough to to create that bad of a schedule for Florida. It, it is absolutely brutal. Uh, and 
you know, to your point, I mean, when do spring games, when do spring games just come become more like, you know how the NFL is doing the Pro Bowl now mm-hmm. with, you know, just flag football and then skills competitions and stuff like that. When did the spring come become something like that where fans can come and enjoy it and stuff like that, but you don't get injuries because, like you said, Florida can't afford not a one up front, not one. The Florida Gators, by the way, guys, 32nd in college football, 68% of their team or their production returning from a season ago. So a a somewhat veteran team, 70% on the offensive side, 66% on the defensive side. So this won't be a young Gators football team, right? A lot of experience. Uh, Blaine, who's the guy that you're most excited to hear about, most looking forward to hearing about from the Florida camp? I want to see how Jake Slaughter does replacing Kinsley Aguacan because when Kinsley Aguacan did not play for Florida, they struggled mightily to run the football. Okay. He was, he was a glue guy. He was big time in the, in the middle for them at center. So I want to see how Jake Slaughter handles that role in the spring. Blaine, I'm excited to hear about Eugene Wilson. Again, you mentioned he's a star in the making uh, a guy that obviously played second fiddle to Ricky Pearsall, but I think he's got the real potential to be that big-time wide receiver one for Florida, be Graham Mertz's best friend. And, again, they need that star to step up on the outside. We all know the offensive line's the big question, but I think Eugene Wilson truly has the makings of the next great Gators wide receiver. Let's go to Athens, Blaine, the Georgia Bulldogs. Carson Beck is back, but they begin life after Brock Bowers – Lad McConkey, two of the most familiar faces and two exciting superstars. Ex- exciting whites, indeed, is a great way to put it. Uh, who becomes the alpha dog, right? Talent and weapons galore. Who steps up to the, become the guy? Of course, you got Oscar Delt back in the fold. Georgia just picked up, by the way, content loading. Uh, Georgia just picked up a huge commitment from a Stanford transfer tight, and I'll let you talk about that and. Where does the attention turn now? Again, Carson Beck's the leader, but where are most dog fans looking when it comes to, okay, who's going to be that next guy? Because, like, there's no replacing a guy like Brock Bowers. Is there, or is there another guy waiting in the wings that you think could pick up the mantle and be sort of that dude? Well, listen, what what Georgia has done at the tight end position is simply, under Todd Hartley, build the best tight end room in America, and you mentioned – you mentioned it before. Now they've added in a, a transfer in Benjamin Urasek from from Stanford that you go and turn on his film because nobody was watching Stanford. You're lying if you're telling me you were watching Stanford. I go and watch and, and turn on his film and see this dude climbing the ladder way up there above the rim, so to speak, and go and making one-handed catches and, and getting reverses and getting jet sweeps a la Brock Bauer. So that's not fair, okay, that you add that to what they already had in Oscar Delp and Lawson Lucky and, you know, Pierce Berlin, all these guys that they have. So that the tight end room's its own thing. People seem to forget that Georgia last year in the transfer portal went out and got number one receivers from two SEC football teams, okay? I mean, two they got they got Rob Ra Thomas and they got Dominant Lovett, who got were guys that had to kind of stay in that pecking order and kind of bide their time behind McConkie, behind Bowers, because like Kirby Smart said, you're going to take somebody off the f- Bowers off the field or are you going to target somebody else instead of him? No, but now Thomas, 
and Lovett have the opportunity to step up and be kind of 1A, 1B in terms of weapons on the on the outside for Carson Beck here. And, you know, exciting guys like Anthony Evans, who really burst onto the scene with that punt return as a true freshman against Alabama in the SEC championship game. He's going to have an opportunity. By the way, Arian Smith is still there. If he can catch the football, they got nobody can catch him. Okay, nobody can catch him. So they've got a plethora of weapons. But the biggest thing, the biggest piece for Georgia by far and away is Trevor Etienne. There, there has not been a running back like Trevor Etienne at Georgia since DeAndre Swift. There hasn't been. And he may even end up being a more just, I mean, he may even be a better home run hitter than, than Swift was. I'm just telling you, he's that kind of player. And you putting him behind a Georgia team that is returning four guys with significant starting experience on the offensive line. Woo, woo, buddy. I mean, Carson Beck is out there just just salivating right now at the thought of what is going to go on. And it ought to look really good in year two, Carson Beck and Bobo, Mike Bobo, the offensive coordinator in 2024. Uh, Blaine, you mentioned that on the offensive side, what they return on the offensive line, Georgia 47th in college football per Bill Connolly of ESPN, 65% of their production returning, but get this 76%. On the offensive side, you mentioned Dominant Lovett. You mentioned Rob Rao Thomas. I, th- I thought last year Georgia had the best wide receiver room in the SEC. Is it crazy to think, is it crazy to say this Georgia offense this year is more talented and overall better, even without Ladd McConkey and Brock Bowers? Is that fair? Well, I mean, in terms of the 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 sum of the parts, I would think maybe so. I mean, but you can't you listen. Brock Bowers is just a he may in, he may be the greatest tight end to ever play the uh, college football. So when it comes down to it, that that's tough to totally go out and say. But listen to these names: Ra Ra Thomas, Dominant Love. We've already talked about Dylan Bell is a just dude that doesn't even he gets overlooked at times. They bring in six foot five, two hundred and ten pound receiver Colby Young from Miami. They also bring in London Humphreys, Anthony Evans that I talked about. Goodness gracious! I mean, they've got a bunch of guys. Arian Smith is still there, so they've got a ton of guys, and that's without mentioning any of those tight ends that we already talked about. It is a embarrassment of riches. I don't know how you want to grade them uh, based off the other other deals, but the thing is. People want to think, oh, well, Brock Bowers is gone. Georgia doesn't have weapons. Keep fooling yourself, okay, because Georgia is absolutely just loaded for bear when it comes to the passing attack in 2024. And to your point, though, Blaine, I think the big question for Georgia will not be, are there enough talented pieces to replace what you lost production-wise? Sure. But who's going to be that guy when it's, say, late in a ball game like in Auburn last year? And I remember watching that game. And Brock Bowers went Superman mode and just made play after play after play. He always seemed to make that big play. It's like, who's that guy? Because it's one thing to make the play. It's another thing to make the play in crunch time when your team needs it most. Also, Blaine, I'm excited. I'm sure this will make you giddy, but I'm excited to see a pissed off Kirby Smart personally because, you know, Kirby's always got a chip on his shoulder. I mean, Kirby's a guy that I don't care who you're a fan of, those pregame, halftime, postgame speeches will make you want to run through a brick wall. But after not appearing in the national title game, I got to think there's a little bit more. I'm sure ESPN's going to be at G-Day or whatever. But, like, I'm just excited all throughout 2024 to kind of follow and hear from Kirby Smart and 
you know, because I got to think there's a little bit extra going into this one. Yeah, I don't know if College Game Day is going to be bringing Kirby on the set anytime soon, but uh, <laughs> when it comes down to it, you know, I, I think Kirby always, uh, you know, he now he has something. It's it's hard to convince a team that's won back-to-back national championships that, hey, you got to remain hungry and all this kind of stuff, eat off the floor, all this kind of stuff that they talk about. But now you can say, hey, not only did that did that one time where you didn't didn't really finish the job, didn't execute as well as you could. It didn't just, you know, it derailed your your chance, but it did it by the they thought it was the media thought it was so significant. You went from being the only number one seed ever to go down to a six seed and get dropped out and, and things like that. You know, I mean that's not Kirby Smart and company always just want to execute no matter what. But yeah, there's always going to be some there's always going to be a sense of hey uh, you know, they, they, they slided us a little bit or they overlooked us or we didn't do what, all that we could defense defensively, man, you know, they, they weren't necessarily up to their standard that they had been under Kirby last year, had some youth at linebackers. We'll see what CJ Allen and Redland Wilson do this year behind Ismail Munden there, but, and then big talented guys coming back up front, whether it's Nazir Stackhouse or Warren Brinson, how do they become that kind of dominant defensive uh, def- defensive line duo that Georgia's had in years past. So a lot of things still to see, uh, but, I, but you know, it's going to be something that Kirby's going to enjoy kind of molding and going through this year. Yeah, Blaine, I'm excited. You know, you mentioned the guys up front, Stackhouse, Brinson. I'm, I'm excited to hear about the trenches specifically for Georgia this spring because as good as Georgia was last year, it felt strange watching a Georgia team that, you know, I remember you and I talking early last season, a Georgia team that, struggle to run the football, struggle to get pressure on the quarterback. The pressure rate was one of the lowest. And I know these things improved as the season went, and Georgia was a team that peaked very late. But, you know, you look at the 2024 schedule and just look at the SEC schedule, and I'm sure they'd like to get off to a much faster, much better start. And getting back to Georgia football, which is dominating in the trenches from the start for all four quarters, there's no lack of talent. But but I'll be really curious to watch in the spring game but also hear from Kirby himself uh, you know, hear from Glenn Schumann, hear from Mike Bobo, just how things are going in the trenches because that, that's been Georgia's bread and butter. That's why they're one of the best programs in college football. Yeah, and, and having a healthy Tyron Ingram Dawkins is going to be huge. Having the guys like Jordan Hall with a year under his belt, J- Jamal Jarrett with a year to have worked, worked on his body. This is a guy who stood beside Jordan Davis and made Jordan Davis look somewhat I mean, he, he, he's a bigger than Jordan Davis, okay, when when he came on his recruiting visit in high school, okay? So when it comes down to it, there are there is no shortage of bodies. Christian Miller, all these guys, guys on defense, I think they will be more experienced. I think they'll be more hungry, and I think they'll be better fundamentally on the defensive side of the football. Offensive-wise, man, they, they, there's just – there's really too many guys for spots at this point in time right now. They're, Micah Morris, Dylan Fairchild, who plays? Uh, you know, got Jared Wilson's going to take over at center. You know, and Ernest Green played the whole year really as a as a freshman because he was hurt his first year that he had to redshirt there at Georgia uh, at left tackle. Um, Big Trust, Xavier Trust is going to move out to right tackle probably. He's been around for like, 100 years at Georgia, so he's drawing Social Security and NIL at the same time. <laughs> but uh, when it comes down to it, they ought to have plenty of experience and they ought to be able to, you know, just be better in the trenches this year for sure. 
Blaine, you mentioned Trevor Etienne, the best Georgia running back since DeAndre Swift. That's the guy I'm most excited to hear about this spring. Just hearing updates on him, watching him in the spring game. You know, I know with starters, he may be limited, but I, I'm just – I think he's going to be a star in Athens. I think he's going to get Georgia back to somewhat of that ground and pound. I know with Carson Beck and Mike Bobo, they're going to be airing the football out. But again, like you mentioned, at the end of the day, third and one, fourth and short, you got to run the football. Trevor Etienne's going to be that dude in Athens. Who's the dog you're most excited to hear updates on and 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 keep up with throughout spring ball? Just want to see Michael Williams have a healthy spring. He's been hurt every spring. He's had nagging injuries, stuff like that. Want to see him be healthy. And he's also maybe making that move out to, to Jack and be more of a stand-up linebacker than he is a defensive end. Uh, with his hand in the dirt a lot of times. I think you talked about the lack of pass rush at times. He's the type of guy that can be there. And those other guys that are on the the edge that are as exciting as well, that were young, weren't quite ready last year, whether it's uh, Damon Wilson, Samuel and Pimba, Gabe Harris, all these edge guys. I think that's the that's where I'm most excited to hear about for Georgia this spring. Blaine, let's go to Lexington, talk to some Kentucky Wildcats. You know, we talked about change. This is a common theme with a lot of these teams. Changing over at the coordinator spot. Who's the new OC? It's February the 10th, and we still have no ideas. Mark Stoops continues to look for his replacement of Liam Cohen. Uh, a new look offense, right, as Devin Leary is no longer there. And, you know, Devin Leary, Blaine, let's call it what it is, admittedly a guy that I, I don't think lived up to the hype and the expectations that yes, most put on. Yeah, did that's putting it kindly, Not right? Me. Yeah, yeah, and I was the same way. Had super high expectations for Devin Leary. Um, speaking of Georgia, Georgia transfer Brock Vandegrift. He transfers in. He takes over. This is a guy that I think has like 40 career passing attempts, but the ceiling in regards to talent is through the roof. No more Ray Davis at the running back spot. You've got the great receivers, Barryon Brown, Dane Key. I feel like, though, Kentucky spring, Blaine, it, it, it's all about Brock Vandegrift. That, and getting back to that Kentucky physicality on the offensive line, you know, as good as Ray Davis was, the Cats still struggled to run the football, and that was their Achilles heel in some games last year. I think of the South Carolina game specifically, where they just they couldn't find any sort of offensive balance, couldn't get anything going, and that was the thing, I think, one of the big things that held them back. Your thoughts on Kentucky going into spring, specifically on the offensive side, again, an offense right now that doesn't even have a leader at OC yet. Yeah, no, I think uh, Brock Vandergriff is gonna. It's gonna be interesting because he was kind of handpicked by Liam Cohen that, right for that that type of style that that you know that Sean McVay tree that you have there underneath um, underneath Liam Cohen. So he went and studied with Sean McVay, of course, with the Rams for a year, and now that's probably a big part of the reason why he's getting that job there in Tampa. But Brock Vandergriff, he's really gonna have to. There, it's gonna be somebody. He's got a strong arm. Uh, he's got great mobility, so you're an offensive coordinator that comes in. You got lots of different ways you can utilize him. He is going to have to gain that game experience, okay? But when it comes down to it, this Florida—I say Florida because Gerald Mincy came from Tennessee, and then he was at Florida before that—is what I was just thinking. He comes in and adds to the offensive line, and I think you're going to be a whole lot better at the offensive line. You get Eli Cox and Jagger Burton back. That's going to be something that we need to see is that, like you mentioned, that physicality. And okay, Eric Wolford is back in Lexington, by the way. Eric Wolford. Oh, yeah. From Alabama. <laughs> that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Having, and 
Who would have thought that? Because I think him and Mark Stoops almost came to blows uh, when he was leaving. <laughs> I think he deuced out on a recruiting trip uh, dur during the middle. Of, so that was a – listen, anybody can come back, but they've added their – in an area of need at the offensive line with Gerald Mincy, a guy that started for Tennessee, okay, came from Florida before that to Tennessee, and now, okay, here he come, comes over to Kentucky. You know, they, they've got Jalen Farmer that comes from Florida, okay, so all kinds of Florida ties coming into Kentucky that are going to add to that offensive line. I think it's just, okay, how does Brock Vandergrift distribute the football and take care of the football when you're talking about these receivers? Dane Key, does he live up to his potential there? Barry and Brown, can he become more of a complete receiver, not just a uh, you know kick returner and gadget type guy? Uh, Anthony Brown, does he make a step forward? Dingle, they they listen, Dingle went in the portal as tied in and came back out of the portal. That was a huge, huge retention there by Mark Stoops. So the uh, NIL dollars well spent to, to be able to keep him there in Lexington. Um, running back wise, Chip Trainum is a lot better than people I think are going to give him credit for. He really pulled Ohio State out of the fire a couple of times when Travion Henderson was hurt. So uh, I think Chip Trainum is going to be a nice addition. I don't know if he'll be Ray Davis, but he's going to be he's going to be pretty dang good. Blaine, the experience for Kentucky returning forty nine percent. They rank hundred and second on Bill Cannell, Bill Connolly's excuse me uh, returning production rankings forty nine percent. 45% uh, on offense, 52% on the defensive side. One of the newcomers, though, in the Kentucky Wildcat that I'm most excited to hear about throughout the spring, keep up with, uh, is a former Georgia Bulldog yet again, Jamar Dumas Johnson. I think this is a really intriguing story, though, a guy that maybe, you know, from dog fans and dog folks I talked to kind of got lost in the shuffle. Obviously, the depth at Georgia is incredible. But he goes all of a sudden from going to Athens where it's extremely competitive, not to say Kentucky's not competitive, but this dude, all of a sudden, I think could be a mega star at the linebacker position for Kentucky. Uh, Wildcat, you're most excited to see. And then for the Kentucky defensive side, you know, what you're most excited to hear about from that regard? Because, I, you know, physicality defensively has been a calling card for the Cats as well. It's got to continue under Mark Stoops this fall. They know what they have at the corner position, the boundary corner that they play Maxwell Hairston at. He, he, I mean, this is a pick six waiting to happen. He, he, he had a lot of, a lot of big things. I think JQ Hardaway on the other side is a guy that the field corner is going to have to establish himself a little bit. He's going to have to uh, get a little bit more polished, a little rough around the edges last year coming over from Cincinnati to Kentucky. Now with a year of SEC – under his belt how does he do out there because sometimes when you're that field corner you can be out on an island and i think they're going to have to really see okay what what do, what happens there with jq hardaway got a ton of experience in that front uh with with eric jackson with jj weaver with Deion walker josiah hayes Keyshawn silver octavius oxendine all of those guys they've been there forever along the the kentucky front but can jq hardaway really help solidify that back end I'm also curious too, Blaine, just kind of the vibe around Kentucky this spring, right? It, it wasn't too long ago that it we thought Mark Stoops was on the way out. We thought he was going to take the Texas A&M job. It was another Greg Schiano with Tennessee situation where I think the backlash and the pushback, and I, I don't care what Ross Bjork said, who's now at Ohio State, obviously. I, I don't care what he had to say. That went a long way, I think, in Mark Stoops not being the next head coach at Texas A&M. Also, Stoops was very critical of his fan base last year at NIL, and it just 
I'm I'm kind of curious to see how he navigates that, and maybe he tries to tries to warm up to the Wildcat folks because. You know, I, I just after that season last year where you underachieve and you kind of ruffle some feathers, I don't know. It, it's Mark Stoops is an interesting territory, right? Because he's one big at Kentucky, but everybody's got an expiration date. And if you keep poking the bear, yours could be sooner than later. Yeah. And I think you do that just by winning ball games, right? I mean, they, I think they got to start three and one. Uh, they'll, they'll lose that Georgia game you know, on September 14th, more than likely, but you got to beat Southern Miss, South Carolina, and Ohio before you have to go on the road to Vault Hemingway and play Ole Miss, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin and company. Probably going to be three and three and two before that bye game, and then you get to come out and really hit it running with Vanderbilt and Florida and back-to-back games. Vanderbilt, Florida, and Auburn. If you want to be what you think you can be, which is a team that is – you know, consistently eight, nine wins every year. That's if that's your, that's what you want to be your floor at Kentucky, then you got to win those ball games. You got to beat Vanderbilt. You got to beat Florida in a down year. And you also have to beat Auburn. So, so when you come into those Auburn at home, mind you. So when you come in that way, that's the biggest way, Chris, that he can warm himself up to the fan base. If there is any uh, tension there is just put W's on the board. There is no medicine better, Blaine, than wins, right, when it comes to SEC football fans. Let's go to Baton Rouge, talk LSU Tigers spring ball, a big spring coming up for Brian Kelly as they enter year three of his tenure. Uh, Really intriguing storylines, Blaine, I think, in the spring, both offensively and defensively. We'll start on the defensive side. This was a defense. If LSU was average, Blaine, on defense, they were in the college football playoff. I, 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 I firmly believe that because the offense – was electric, and give Brian Kelly, give LSU a ton of credit because they put their money where their mouth is. They didn't just go out and get somebody. They got arguably the best. Blake Baker, former Missouri D.C., he's now, I think, unless somebody else has taken over, I believe he's the highest paid assistant in college football, unless maybe Chip Kelly's getting more to Ohio State. I have no idea. Either way, highest paid assistant in the SEC, no doubt, we need to see it early. I think we need to see it in the spring. I think changing the culture on the defensive side, it's like oil and water watching LSU and bad defense playing. It, like what we saw last year with the talent, especially with guys like Harold Perkins and, and Makai Wingo and, and those guys on the defensive front, it made no sense. You wonder about the depth, right? Because it's weird to think it could be a talent issue, but depth up front, I thought Dominic McKinley was a huge signing for them, retaining him in this signing class. Uh, you know, but Blake Baker showing signs of a defense that knows how to tackle. Like, we're, we're getting back to the fundamentals, Blaine, when it comes to yeah. the LSU defense. When you talk about what you want to hear from Brian Kelly, Blake Baker, the spring game, it just comes down to let's execute the fundamentals. Let's just start there when it comes to this new era on defense. Yeah, and and you you said it. I mean, with, with you know Mason Mason Smith and all these guys gone on, you know, to the to the NFL. I just don't know who's who's going to line up and, and be in the two deep there at defensive tackle. So we got it. We got to see that. I uh, got to see across that defensive line, manufacture some depth. But Blake Baker is a builder, right? He helped Eli Drinkwitz build that defense there at Missouri over a two year span to be one of the better ones. Uh, in the top five in the SEC, no doubt. And when it comes down to it, they just have to do the fundamentals better. There were times where 
okay, they're they're in they're in man coverage, they get beat. They're in zone coverage, they get lost. They 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 don't give great effort pursuing the football. They they don't they try to arm tackle and don't don't you know run their feet through tackles, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just it was a embarrassment on the defensive side of the football. And I think Blake Baker is a great guy to to come back and try to try to work through that for them. And you know, they they did bring in some some guys in the in the transfer portal, Jair Brown from Ohio State is going to help out at corner, uh, Austin Osbury at, at safety, and then also Jordan Gilbert from Texas A and M at safety. So there are some reinforcements there on the back end. That's been a it's been like you know hitchhiker you. It's went from DBU to hitchhiker you guys just kind of coming in there, you know, bringing their 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 bag with them, dropping for a year, whatever uh, happens at secondary, and and that's hard to cobble it together that way. We'll see how the secondary looks this year. But, yeah, I think, you know, fundamentally, you can't be much worse. Blake Baker's going to get it get it better uh, up there at L- down there at LSU. And, Blaine, on the offensive side of the football, and as we look at the experience returning, the returning production for LSU, they rank 60th in college football. 63% of their production returns for the Bayou Bengals. Uh, and as you look offensively, 55%. 71% on the defensive side. Let's switch to the offensive side of the football, a new era. Again, Garrett Nussmeyer takes over for Jaden Daniels. I will say, I know fans, I don't know if anybody's ever really going to get used to blame the idea of opt-outs and guys sitting out, and everybody's got their own opinion on it. But I think we saw with LSU why it can be a positive because a guy like yeah. Garrett Nussmeyer, he gets the bowl game against Wisconsin to be QB1. He shines. He plays very well. Now, all of a sudden, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of positive feelings. I think the thing Garrett Nussmeyer can't do, and of course, he's going to be a big storyline. He's going to be a guy we watch in the spring game. Excited to hear Brian Kelly, uh, you know, in the offensive staff talk about his progression as QB1, the leader of the football team. The one thing he can't do is try to be Jaden Daniels. I don't know if he yeah. could be him or even try to replicate him if he wanted to because he doesn't have that running ability. But either way, He's not going to be him, literally the Heisman Trophy winner. And if you're an LSU fan, you shouldn't want him to be him because the reason Jaden Daniels had to be him is because LSU could not run the football to save their lives outside of Jaden Daniels. So they've got some young guys at running back. They're excited about Logan Diggs has obviously moved on. Um, The guy that I'm most excited about, Blaine, and we actually did a piece of content on him about a week and a half or so ago, C.J. Williams the Liberty transfer, because you got to replace Malik Neighbors. So there's a lot of new pieces on the offensive side, but led by Joe Sloan and Cortez Hankton, right, you lose Mike Denbrock. But I'm not as worried about LSU on the offensive side as some others, assuming Garrett Nussmeyer can pick up where he left off in that bowl game, and we obviously need to see it in the spring. Yeah, Daniels from Daniels from Liberty is going to be tremendous. Uh, that that's a that's a big deal. CJ Daniels coming over the for, from the Flames. He had a great year, but I think when it comes down to it, who I'm most excited to see for LSU is I want to see them really find a way to utilize Aaron Anderson. Okay, this is a guy that Mike Denbrock said before the season last year, we've got to get this guy the ball. we got to get him the ball. He didn't end up getting the ball. Uh, in fact, after the LSU game, there was the famous clip where uh, he had transferred from Alabama, and Nick Saban found him after the game and was dapping him up and talking to him. He's like, you know you'd be playing more if you stayed at Alabama to, to, to us. So 
you know, that, and Nick knew he was leaving anyway, so he can say that kind of stuff to people. He don't care. Uh, so when it came down to it, Aaron Anderson is a guy that I want to see, you know, get utilized a little bit more. He's, he can be dynamic in the return game. He, he can, you know, be great in the slot. We know what they have there in Hilton and what they have in Lacey on the outside. Nussmeyer has an absolute – I mean, you you should have to get like a certain level of, you know, just absolute security clearance in the military to have the kind of weapon that he does hanging off of the right side of his body because he has a howitzer over there. I'm just telling you, he can absolutely sling it. He came in – against the Georgia in the second half of the SC championship game two years ago. And I thought Dan Marino had put on a Jersey and came out there for LSU. The dude can sling it. So not worried about that. They're, they're good uh, in terms of pass protection on the offensive line. Uh, but I want to see Aaron Anderson do his thing out there and try to get him involved a little bit more. Blaine, let's go to Starkville. Talk Mississippi state Bulldogs. A new era begins as Jeff Levy takes over as the head coach, the former Oklahoma offensive coordinator, this being his first head coaching job of his career. Jeff Levy's a guy, right, always been highly regarded offensive guru. But that first head coaching job, sometimes there's highs, there's lows, there's in-betweens. It can be rocky at times, but either way, a new era begins, a breath of fresh air. You know, Mississippi State was put in a really, really tough situation last year with the the passing of the late, great Mike Leach. Of course, Zach Arnett takes over. And I thought, at the time being, I thought that was a good move, Blaine, because I thought, you know what? This is a guy who's going to galvanize that community. He's going to keep everybody together. He was on Mike Leach's staff. But, Blaine, it was interesting when I would talk to Mississippi State folks when they said, he's the short-term answer. He's not the long-term answer. This is not the guy. And who knew they would be right so quickly um, you look at Mississippi State, dead last in the SEC at returning production. Bill Connolly's SP Plus returning production rankings, 122nd nationally, just 41%. 41% of their production returns from 2023. 54% on the offensive side and Blaine on the defensive side, 27%. That's 132nd. In college football, uh, for me, Blaine, what I want to see most from spring, or you know, I, and I think the storyline we're going to be following. But for me, it's just Mississippi State. Let's call it what it is. And I got nothing but love for the Bulldogs. It's a very tough program to win at, right? It, it's it's. Yeah. There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of things. There's a couple programs in the SEC like this, but it's a very very difficult place to win. That being said, I don't think the fan base has unrealistic expectations. I don't think they have unrealistic standards. But I think getting Mississippi State back to being fun to watch, specifically on the offensive side, I think that's got to be priority number one for Jeff Levy. And also when it's your calling card, it's the thing you got to be good at, right? So can he get a fun, exciting offense back to Starkville? You bring in Blake Shapin from Baylor, which I was I was kind of surprised the reaction on social media from some folks. I looked at his numbers. This is a former all-conference guy. I know he wasn't necessarily great last year, got banged up last season, but I'm, my eyes are all on the offense. I know the defense, it's it's completely brand new, and that's got to get corrected. And Mississippi State, it seems like, Blaine, for years, you know, you just became accustomed to these really nasty, tenacious defenses at Mississippi State. But I think in a place like that, you need to be fun. You need to be electric on the offensive side. If you're not going to win 10, 11, 12 games a year, you've at least got to be entertaining. So can they get back to that? 
I think we're going to find out a lot in the spring watching Jeff Levy and that offense operate. Yeah, it, listen, I have an affi- a special affinity when it comes to Mississippi State, okay? And here's why. Because I remember being, I don't know, nine, ten years old and waking up and turning on JP Sports and seeing Dave <laughs> Neal call a Mississippi State game with Sylvester Croom over on the mm-hmm. sideline, Jarius Norwood doing his thing running down the field. I mean – Mississippi State, you know, that you gotta love that. Okay. That's that's SEC football at its finest and, and things like that. I just I just love that idea of it, the cowbells, all that kind of stuff. But I will say this when you're in comparison with anything, Chris, you're either going to be better than, less than, or different than. And if you're at Mississippi State, you better be different than, okay, because you're not gonna be better than. You're not gonna have the talent to be better than. But you can be different then, and that's why Dan Mullen won there. That's why Mike Leach won there, because they were different then. They were able to do things that made themselves and and separated themselves from other people, and Jeff Lebby can do that. Jeff Lebby can do that with tempo. He can do that with, with his splits. He can do that with some of his concepts, and he can bring some excitement back to Mississippi State football. And really, we're going to get into the players and all that. I mean – They've got to replace so much with just Jet Johnson and, and, and Boogie Watson gone from the linebacker. I mean, that's just a huge, huge deal. Both guys having over 100 tackles there for a couple of years, I believe, with, with Mississippi State. But who cares? You got to be, if you're Jeff Lebby, say, let's go outscore them, boys, and let's go get it done, and let's just let's just go out there and have fun on the, on the offensive side of the ball. We'll tackle what we can tackle on the defensive side, but I think you got to be different then if you're Mississippi State. Yeah, Blaine, the excitement of a blank slate, a new era in Starkville. I think that's what we're going to feel this spring. Uh, player I'm most excited for, Blaine, I would say Blake Shape in the quarterback. I, I just, again, I'm all about offense. I want to hear about how that offense progresses. Who's the Bulldog you're most excited to hear about when it comes to spring ball in Starkville? I, I think J- uh, Jaden Wally. I think Jaden Wally did some great things a couple years ago with with Mike Leach and how he was used and just kind of fell through the cracks in this deal with um, the the regime there last year. I think he can be used in some exciting ways. I think all those receivers can. Justin Robinson, Creed Whittemore. I mean, they've got some guys that that you talk about excited. Those guys have to be excited with Jeff Levy coming in because it was totally the different way last year, Um, you know, with just no no real identity on the on the offensive side last year. Blaine, let's go to Como. Talk the Missouri Tigers, one of the best stories of the 2023 season, winning 11 games and beating Ohio State in that Cotton Bowl. And this was a Mizzou team. Blaine, we were having this conversation a year ago this time. We're talking about probably Eli Drinkwitz on the hot seat. Now we're talking about Mizzou being a, a real contender, maybe a favorite even for the college football playoff. My question is this, Blaine, as we enter the spring, and you know, I don't know if we figure this out in the spring because, again, we're not playing real games and everybody's 0-0, everybody's great, but all throughout this year leading up to kickoff, I'm just going to be really curious to see how do the Missouri Tigers handle real big-time expectations because you're sneaking up on nobody this year. Everybody knows what they're going to get when they take on Mizzou, and that's a compliment, but... We've heard Kirby Smart talk about this. We've heard others. It's one thing to be the hunters. It's the other to be the hunted, right? And not everybody reacts the same in that scenario. So uh, your thoughts on just 
what a spring practice, what like what 2024 even looks like for a Missouri program that now finds itself with real expectations and maybe even a target on its back. The true measure of greatness is consistency, right? I mean, if you can be consistent, that's how you become great. That's how you become respected. That's how you become in a in a upper echelon of a group. We know that Missouri's trending in the right direction, okay? But now, like you said, you're expected to do it. How do you live up to that? Uh, you you lose, you know, some some key pieces, okay? You lose some key pieces when it comes down to it, and now you got to have some guys that you got to develop them. You got some coordinator change. Heck, as we record this on February 10th, Alabama could be coming after your offensive coordinator and Kirby Moore. And then how do you respond to that if that were to happen? So there's lots of stuff with Missouri that you have to just see how it develops. Uh, you know, you got Marcus Carroll and Nate Noel coming in uh, from the Sun Belt ranks into running back to to you know just really try to fortify that position after such a great, great job that they did last year with that outside zone run game. So when it comes down to it, uh, I'm excited to see how they how they make that next step. They got a lot of experience at quarterback. They got a lot of experience uh, out at the receiver and tight end position. So, you know, different strengths there, having to replace uh, Blake Baker uh, on that at that defensive coordinator deal. Okay, uh, got, got to re- replace a lot of talented playmakers as well. So, Yes, the expectations are high, but also there's there's a lot of guys that you got to see, okay, how do we develop them and how do they step up? Blaine, you mentioned Corey Batoon from – how about the South Alabama to SEC pipeline, right? Kane Womack, he goes to Bama. Corey Batoon, he goes to Missouri. Uh, how does he fill the shoes of the departed Blake Baker? What does a new era defensively look like? You mentioned the experience, by the way. And, Blaine, I mentioned top of show – Maybe we should have saw the breakout season coming from Mizzou because they had as much experience coming back as any in the SEC. I think they had over 80% of experience coming back on the defensive side specifically. Yet again, Missouri near the top. They rank 31st nationally in returning production, 68% Blaine, 79% on the offensive side, 58% on the defensive side. Of course, offensively, Brady Cook is a great place to start. He's not the flashiest, right? His game's not the sexiest. He's not going to do what Jaden Daniels did. But I think what he showed last year, the kid is a winner, right? He's just a flat-out winner. He found ways to make plays, get the job done. You saw that in the Cotton Bowl. Luther Burden third. Luther Burden the third, excuse me, might be the best playmaker in the SEC. You could argue that. Theo Weiss Jr. beside him is a great weapon. I think defensively, though, what the Tigers do defensively, I'm excited to see that as a new era begins this spring and just how they're able to replace Blake Baker, who did things. And also, too, on the offensive side, going back to that, how do you fill the shoes of Cody Schrader? I I don't know if there's a guy on that roster that can do that. I mean, and we never would have saw it coming, right, going from – he was a nice player, but this kid turned into an all-American overnight thanks to Kirby Moore. So – um, it's going to be a fun spring in Como as you have tons of experience back, but obviously tons of question marks to answer as well. Yeah, but you talking about replacing Cody Schrader. I mean, Marcus Carroll, uh, 1,300 yards at Georgia State, and I'm telling you guys, if there's one thing I want you to take away, the Sun Belt football, that league is a really, really good football league, and if you can produce there, you're going to be just fine. Okay, when you come and you've got SEC guys around you to help develop and stuff like that, Marcus Carroll is going to be a dynamic running back there for uh, for Mississippi State. 
um, excuse me, for Missouri, we were just talking about Mississippi State. We talked about 16 teams here, folks. Okay, <laughs> we're going to miss a miss a name. But Marcus Carroll is going to be dynamic for Mizzou. Nate Noel is going to come come in and do some good things after coming from App State, like I, I mentioned. So I think they'll be okay there. Um, you know, need to see how they're going to replace Javon Foster and Xavier Delgado, I think, is really the big thing, okay? Left side of that offensive line. Now, you got Caden Green coming in who played at left guard for Oklahoma, but he left Oklahoma because he wants to play left tackle. So, do you kind of appease him and say, okay, hey, big man, welcome. You can start out at left tackle. We'll see how you do. Or do they just say, no, we think you're going to be best at left guard. And, you know, Oklahoma had it right, but now at least you're back with a place you want to be in Missouri, something like that. So, who knows on that? The rest of the center to the right guard or center to right tackle should be intact and be fine. And listen, Brady Cook simply just competes his nuts off. Okay. I'm just telling you, he just competes and competes and competes. And he he doesn't look great. He's not going to probably play in the NFL for 10, 15 years. But what he is going to do is when it's third down, he's going to, short of just. I mean, dying, this man's going to go out there and just give it everything he's got to get the first down, whether it's with his arm or with his legs. I love the way Brady Cook plays football, and I think he's a great asset to Eli Drinkwitz and what they have now that this is going to be an offensive-led team this year. I mean, just listen to these names that moved on from the defensive side. Darius Robinson, probably first-round pick. Tyron Hopper is gone. Abrams Drain and Enos Rakestraw out of the back end, and that's just a few. uh, Jaden Carlisle's gone from from the safety position niles gaddy Jaden uh, Jaden jurgen i mean so many guys that moved on uh so many guys that had been longtime players and starters there for mizzou and now they're gonna have to fill those those roles on the defensive side of the offense with luther burden theo weiss uh mookie cooper just all of the guys that they have over there uh tyler stevens brett norfleet at at, at tight end they got to they got to step it up even more because the defense is going to be playing catch up this year. Blaine, you mentioned all the guys that Missouri lost in the back end of that defense. It's why I'm most excited to hear about this spring. Toriano Pride, the defensive back yeah. they picked up in the portal. I thought Missouri had a very underrated transfer portal haul this past cycle. Toriano Pride coming over from Clemson. I think this dude has an opportunity of an absolute star. Be that next shutdown corner. Is it the running backs for you? I'm going to go on a limb and say it sounds like you're pretty excited about Marcus Carroll and Noel, the two new running backs, or is it somebody else, the Tiger, you're most excited to hear about during spring ball and Como? Yeah, I I think people are going to just – find out that Marcus Carroll's a stud. I'm just telling you, I think he's a, he's he's not going to he's not going to just blow you away with his speed, but neither was Cody Frazier or Cody Schrader, okay? Neither was Cody Schrader. What you're going to see out of Marcus Carroll is you're going to see a guy who is decisive, one cut, and that 15 to 20-yard spurt is going to be elite, and then he's going to be able to break tackles. Okay, so I think Marcus Carroll is going to be an exciting player for Mizzou. Don't sleep on Sean Elliott and the Georgia State Panthers, by the way. He knows how to coach them down there, so you know he'll fit in just fine. Uh, Let's go to Norman, Oklahoma. This is the first of two of new members of the SEC. Really exciting as life in the Southeastern Conference will begin for OU. I'm sure, Blaine, it's a little bit of a different vibe when you're getting ready for the fall and spring ball. So, hey, boys, we better strap it on and take it serious this spring because we're about to begin life in the toughest conference in college football. It starts at the quarterback position. This is a huge spring for Jackson Arnold. We saw this kid uh, in the Alamo Bowl against Arizona. 
You saw some really, really, really good. You saw some really, really, really bad. The good news, I think, for OU fans, Blaine, I'm sure you'd agree, is that it's all correctable mistakes, at least what I saw. He's got all the talent in the world. You have to replace Dylan Gabriel on the offensive side. And, and you feel like, at least defensively, under Brent Venables, they were much, much better last year. I mean, this was a 10-win football team last year. But life with a new leader under center, that's where the attention will be this spring in Norman. Yeah, and with Jeff Lebby having gone, you know, I think the attention will also be on Seth Luttrell calling plays. Uh, you know, so I mean, that's another that's another aspect of it. And Jackson Arnold and him, what's their relationship look like? Um, Seth Luttrell, he's out of that, you know, uh, Mike Leach, um, other other um, Sonny Dykes, some of the more creative offensive minds. He's out of that kind of tree offensively, so. Oklahoma fans, that should be, you know, good news for you because, hey, he's that's what they've been used to, you know, when Lincoln Riley was there, just throwing it all around the yard, things like that. Jackson Arnold has the ability to do it. They've they've got weapons there. Uh, Nick Anderson, you know, coming off that coming off that ACL injury, we'll see how he rehabs a little bit. Of course, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you, you you've got Anthony um, Andrew. That that is good. Deion Burks that is coming in from Purdue. So Andre Anthony. I mean, there's so many guys, so many guys. But Jackson Arnold is really going to be key. But that offensive line, the offensive line was decimated. Caden Green's gone. They don't have depth there. That's going to be the real issue. I think they're going to be good defensively. Uh, they got Danny Stutzman and some of those guys coming back. Billy Bowman. But when it comes down to it, the offensive line is the big issue for Oklahoma. You mentioned that offensive line, Blaine, and you've talked about it. We talked about it off air. OU establishing depth in the offensive line. This is another one where, again, I felt like Blaine for a while there. Every other day I woke up and saw, oh, another OU guys hit the portal, another OU offensive lineman gone, another OU guy. You know, I'm like, who do they have left to block for Jackson? So finding that depth during spring going to be key. Oklahoma, by the way, guys, ranked 67th nationally in returning production, 62%. Just 44% on the offensive side, but Blaine, to your point, led by Danny Stutzman, the fantastic linebacker, 79% of their production returns on defense. That's eighth best in college yeah. football. So you combine a veteran defense with Brent Venables, his reputation precedes him. That defense should be elite coming into 2024 in the fall. It should be a lot of fun to watch in the spring. Uh Player you're most excited to hear about, Blaine? I didn't have one. I just picked the entire offensive line. I just I want to hear about what in the world's going on in the trenches and what solutions they're coming up with. Because like you mentioned, that group was abysmal a season ago. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to go for sure. I think when it comes down to it, I think Deion Burks can be a true difference maker. I did a video on him. It, listen, Purdue, they said by far and away, was the, he was the fastest player on their roster. Um, he's a guy that, that can do a little bit of everything. And I think that, that he's going to be a good little security blanket for Jackson Arnold to have when things get in trouble, whether it's option routes, whether it's screen plays, whether it's taking shots down the field, uh, he's a playmaker. And I think you add him to, to Nick Anderson and, uh, and Andrew Anthony. And I misspoke. I think I said Anderson was the one coming off the ACL. It was Andrew Anthony coming off the ACL. Nick Anderson kind of stepped up and have a, had a good role for Oklahoma at the end of the year last year. Jalil Farouk's coming back. Brennan Thompson. All those guys are great. I think Deion Burks can be the guy that kind of puts him over the top in terms of that wide receiver room. 
Blaine, it's a bit of a side note before we move on, but sticking with the Oklahoma Sooners, and you mentioned the win totals coming out from FanDuel and, and talking about Oklahoma beginning a new era in the SEC. Maybe they come in with a chip on their shoulder because the projected win total from FanDuel, six and a half? I, yeah. I just wonder how much that fuels the Sooners this spring, throughout the summer, the fall, because, I mean, that feels a little bit low, but, I mean, again, this is life in the SEC. Oklahoma, Texas, you better get used to it, right? You're going to take some licks you were not used to taking before. Yeah, I mean, well, you, you look at it right here. Their non-conference is not easy. Uh, Temple, Houston, Tulane, I'm not saying those are teams that they won't beat. I'm just saying those aren't teams that you can just take the week off, okay, and right. just show up and just roll the ball out there and, and say you're going to win. Houston – Big 12 team now. We know what Tulane has been, even with Willie Fritz gone. In fact, Willie Fritz having gone to Houston. Um, so they got that on there. South Carolina should be a winnable game. Maine uh, is Maine, of course. So that's five wins right there. And then now, you know, how does it how does it come about uh, with the rest of that schedule? So I think they'll have the chip on their shoulder, but I think Brent Venables and company will have them ready to go. Blaine, let's go to Oxford, talk the Ole Miss Rebels. There may not be a team outside of maybe Georgia, but uh, there's going to be few teams out there that have more hype and higher expectations than the Ole Miss Rebels. And it's because of you look at what Lane Kiffin and company did in the transfer portal. This may be Ole Miss's most talented team in school history, literally on both sides of the football, especially defensively. The Ole Miss folks I've talked to that cover that football program, they say this may be the greatest assemblance of defensive talent they've ever seen in Oxford. Blaine, what this is going to be a great case study of, and I think if you're Lane Kiffin, what you're using this spring for, how do we gel it all together? Right, it's like a clubhouse in baseball. It's like anything else, you know. Football, you deal with this. You can have a bunch of great, talented individuals, but you must have a great team to win a championship, and that's what Ole Miss is trying to do. So, I'm really excited to see just how do all of these talented pieces come together. Walter Nolan, Princely Uman Mielin, uh, you know, Juice Wells on the offensive side. I mean, Poo Paul Jr. at linebacker. The list goes on and on and on. Just seeing sort of this, this superstar team and how they mesh is going to be really interesting to, to follow along and hear Lane Kiffin's comments throughout the spring. Yeah, it was designed this way. Okay, I talked to Walker Jones, who's the head of the NIL, the, the Grove Collective over there for Ole Miss, and they, they knew uh, two years ago they had a plan that was, hey, we want to be hitting our peak, hitting our stride when that 12-team playoff format comes into play. That was It was designed this way. Um, it, it got kicked up even more after that embarrassing loss at Georgia last year when Lane Kiffin went out and said, hey, we're just simply not good enough. we got to have better personnel. And and Walker Jones took that and, and went to the, the the people out there that support the Grove Club and say, hey, you, you see where you want to be? It's going to take money to get there. And, and they were able to go out and get it done Lane Kiffin is not afraid to call it what it is. It's actual free agency. These are professional athletes, and he goes out and he gets them. And when you talk about guys like Trey Amos, who was going to be a starting corner for Alabama that is now going to be a starting corner for Ole Miss, and plus all the guys you talked about up front, uh, you know, Walter, Walter Nolan, you had guys like a tackling machine from Indiana and, and Lewis Moore. I mean, just guys that, that – have played a lot of SEC football, even in special teams or kind of complementary roles, even like Brandon Turnage coming over there to Ole Miss. I mean, a lot of guys that have come in on that defense and 
our friend Dave Shoemate says it all the time. It's not your top 22. It's your top 44, okay? And I think for the for the first time, Ole Miss has a top 44 that can go toe-to-toe with just about anybody. On the offensive side, Blaine, you know, I think filling the void of Quinshawn Judkins, you know, that battle at the running back position, I think will be interesting to follow. I mean, outside of that, I mean, Jackson Dart returns, Trey Harris on the outside. Uh, the guy I'm most excited to hear about, admittedly, and I, I think, Blaine, this one will probably make some sense just because of my previous experience and some of my previous ties. Uh, Juice Wells at, at the wide receiver position, the South kind of transfer. Uh, how far along is he from his foot injury or supposed foot injury that held him out? Um, it's just what type of role does he take on in that Ole Miss offense? And, of course, I'm excited to follow throughout the fall, and especially when Ole Miss goes to South Carolina. That's going to be an electric factory. But who's the rebel you're most excited to follow? Again, there's a great uh, a, a great number of selections uh, that you can go with here with all the great talent they have in Oxford this spring. I mean, I just want to see – I really want to see – Jackson Dart take that next step as a passer. Okay, I, I really do. Um, because he's got more weapons than NATO. Okay, I mean, I'm just telling you, it, it's it's ridiculous. He's got more just targets out there that he can he can throw the ball to. You mentioned Juice Wells. Trey Harris came back. Deion Smith comes from the junior college ranks after he started his career at LSU. You got Aiden Williams and Caden Lee who should take another step. Caden Prescorn comes back. I mean, Jordan Watkins comes back. It ought to be the best passing attack in the SEC when you factor in Lane Kiffin's calling the plays and you got a third-year starting quarterback and, you know, plenty of of experience and, and transfer guys that have played as well coming in on the offensive line. It Quin, uh, Quinshaw Judkins moving on, you would think they would be more apt to pass the ball a little bit more anyways after Lane Kiffin has been 58% run last year. He does have Ulysses Bentley and Logan Diggs, but I think when it comes down to it, man, it's it's all about, okay, how does Jackson Dart take that next step throwing the football? Blaine, let's go to Columbia, South Carolina. The South Carolina Gamecocks, they enter a pivotal year four for head coach Shane Beamer. Disappointing five and seven season in 2023. And we speak of the word change. There's a lot of change in Columbia. South Carolina will begin life after their QB1, their RB1, and their wide receiver one. That being Spencer Rattler, Marvin Anderson, and Xavier Leggett from a season ago are no longer in Columbia. The Lenoris Sellers era will begin in Columbia. And I know Blaine that South Carolina brought in Robbie Ashford from Auburn. Uh, they brought in the Oklahoma transfer, which I know you've talked about. Seems like that South Carolina-Oklahoma connection. Davis Bevel comes in. They're going to sell this as a quarterback battle, Blaine. This is not a quarterback battle. This is Lenora Sellers' job. The fan base has invested in this kid. You know, you saw very brief highlights of him last year against Vanderbilt and Furman, but you look at the build, you look at the skill set, you feel like he does have all the potential in the world to be a really, really good player in this league. But I think fans also should be mindful of what Spencer Rattler meant to South Carolina. And I mean, just how good he was last year because he was about all they had, it felt like at times. I think getting the offensive line, defensive line, the lines of scrimmage short up for South Carolina has got to be a priority this spring. Um, and finding replacements, right, at the wide receiver position, uh, you know, defensively, I mean, heck, Shane Beamer, he's he's doubling down on 
who he is and what he's done and the coordinators he had and the staff he had last year because you'd expect after five and seven, a complete overhaul. Nope, Dabble Loggins returns at OC. Clayton White returns at defensive coordinator, which was not a popular decision amongst most of Gamecock faithful. So when you look specifically, we'll start offense. Also, you add in Rocket Sanders. How much will he participate due to injury? Um, this is another situation, I think, Blaine, where most, if not all, the attention is going to be focused squarely on the quarterback position. And can Lenora Sellers fill the shoes of a departed Spencer Rattler? I mean, he's going to have to, right? I mean, who are you going to put? You going to put Luke Doty at quarterback? I mean, you got you got to play. You got to play the Norris Sellers, and you got to just say, "Go do it." I don't think they should have. They they should say, "Okay, we're going to have a package for Robbie Ashford mainly because, okay, you know, the Norris Sellers is going to run the football probably a lot. He's got to be ready to go." Um, but I think it more comes down to, okay, if the offensive line can't protect the Norris Sellers. If if they can't run the football, which they ought to be able to with those running backs they got coming in, Oscar Attaway, Rocket Sanders, Jawan Howell, three talented running backs coming in. Uh, you got DJ DJ Braswell, who's a Georgia guy uh, that that didn't play a whole lot last year that should develop and be able to help out as well at running back. So they should be de deep at running back. Got to be able to run the football because Lenore Sellers at some point even though as athletic as he is, he's going to have to win from the pocket at some point, and it's going to be third down, and you got to say, okay, who are my weapons? Is Nick Harbour going to take that next step? You know, who's going to who's going to really be the guy that replaces Xavier Leggett and and replaces Amarheem Brown? Uh, you know, just got to come up big if you're that offensive line for South Carolina, and that's plain and simple. And they were just decimated by injuries, and they was they were cobbling things together. I know that. But they got to hope to knock on wood, stay healthy, and they got to they got to produce. And, and Blaine, we talked about it with Florida, right? The position group that has to get through spring healthy is the offensive line. South Carolina is the same way because it felt like last year Jalen Nichols, who was regarded as their best offensive lineman, he gets hurt in the spring game, and it just kind of felt like Blaine that set the tone for the Gamecocks early on, and really led to what we saw. Uh, in the fall of 2023. South Carolina, 59th, by the way, returning production, 63%. Just 52% on the offensive side, but 74% on the defensive side, which, Blaine, I don't know how good a news that is when you look at how bad they were defensively last year, but I think they feel like the talent is much better when you have a pair of guys like Nick Eamon-Worry, DQ Smith in the back end. Um O'Donnell Fortune returns at corner. You do lose Marcella Style. Also, I thought South Carolina did a good job upgrading in the portal on the line of scrimmage, specifically defensively and at the linebacker position. But to your point, Blaine, it's all going to come down to the offensive line. They got a bunch of young guys they feel really, really good about. But as you and I both know, being young in the trenches is a one-way ticket to struggling and struggling mightily in SEC play. That's the one place you don't want to be young and inexperienced. Uh, but again, a pivotal 2024 beginning for Shane Beamer as the spring gets rolling. The player I'm most excited to hear about, Blaine, it's got to be Lenora Sellers. I, I know I'm taking the low-hanging fruit here, but if South Carolina, their win total released at five and a half, if they're going to get to six wins, if they're going to get to bowl eligibility, and God forbid if they're going to get farther, I agree with you. The offensive line has to be worlds better. But if you don't have the trigger man in the SEC, Blaine, you know this, you will get exposed. 
Yeah. And once you do, and once people get the book, forget it. You basically, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. Who's the Gamecock that you're most excited to hear about as we navigate through spring ball? I want to see if Rocket Sanders can be the 2022 Rocket Sanders or if he's going to be the guy that, that he was last year for Arkansas. So I think that's a big deal. You could say any host of names, whether it's Debo Williams or whoever on the defensive side of things, I don't, I, whoever, it doesn't matter. But when it comes down to it, is Rocket Sanders that type of guy? Can he be a great running mate there to, to Lenore Sellers? Blaine, let's go to Rocky Top. The Tennessee Volunteers begin year four under Josh Heupel. It's Nico time in Tennessee, Blaine. We talk about offseason hype and expectations, and when you got a great quarterback like Nico returning, especially after what he did in that bowl game against Iowa, which I'm not sure if we give enough credit to that, uh, the performance against an Iowa Hawkeyes defense that was one of the best in college football. He was wildly impressive. You look at Tennessee and their returning experience, 94th nationally. Tennessee returning 52% of their production from a season ago. 46% on the offensive side. A lot of that is probably Joe Milton. Uh, some others at the running back position, wide receiver position that they lost. But 46% offensively, 58% defensively. But again, Blaine, this is another spring camp that I have to imagine all the attention, or at least the majority of it, of the focus, it's going to be, I mean, Tennessee fans are going to be salivating on a daily basis. They're not going to be able to get enough Nico updates when it comes to hearing about his progression and how he's fitting in now being the official QB1 of Tennessee football. Yeah, and and that's that's fine. I really think that that, that can be the case. But when you're talking about it for Tennessee, I mean, I think I'm pretty confident with Nico and what I saw. I think I know what he's going to be. You know, I think he's going to be just fine when it comes to being able to to distribute the the football. I think it's can the wide receivers step up and be consistent around him, okay? Because at times when Joe Milton was good last year for Tennessee, the wide receivers were not, okay? Uh, and there were some drops and things like that. Ramel Keaton had some ups and downs. He's gone out of the program now. Chris Brazel comes in from Tulane uh, and I think can be an absolute dynamic playmaker for him. I really do. So I'm excited to see that in terms of Tennessee. They they should have uh, plenty on the offensive line. Uh, you know, I know that they're looking for a little bit at tackle with, with Gerald Mincy. Uh, you know, having having transferred out. So what what do things look like there? They did bring in Zalance Hurd from LSU, who is has great potential, a five star guy potential, but he just hasn't played a whole lot. So we'll we'll see on that offensive side of the ball. You mentioned Blaine Brazel coming over from Tulane. I'm excited to hear about the wide receiver position specifically uh, to continue to follow along. I know Brew McCoy is not going to participate in spring, obviously, but Squirrel White being that guy on the outside. Brew McCoy deciding to return was really big, and obviously getting him back for the fall is going to be huge. The player I'm most excited to hear about, though, believe it or not, it's not Nico. It's the running back, Dylan Sampson. I, I thought he was a fantastic player last year, was great in that running game. Also defensively, on a side note, the, the front seven for Tennessee was so much fun to watch, so good. Life after T Tyler Barron begins, as he was at Ole Miss, now at Louisville, who also, side note, just crushed in the transfer portal. But can they continue to be that, that force, that dynamic force on the defensive side? But Dylan Sampson, excited to hear about his continued progression, being RB1, being a major factor on that offense. Who's the volunteer, Blaine, that you're most excited to hear about as spring ball and Rocky Top gets going? I want to see how uh, Jermon McCoy from Oregon State and then Jalen McMurray from Temple, how do they come in and how do they help this secondary that lost six guys? 
I mean, it lost six guys either to the portal or to eligibility. I mean, guys are gone. Uh, Danico Slaughter out of there. Brandon Turnage out of there. All these different guys that, that are gone from that Tennessee secondary. So I want to see some of those new guys, how they come in and how they assimilate. Um, you know, got some guys that are that are going to be able to, to mix and match different places. But I want to see some of those new guys in the secondary and how they perform. Let's go to Austin, Texas. Blaine, talk the Texas Longhorns. Again, the other of the two new counterparts in the Southeastern Conference in Texas. They come in a year one. They're not expecting to take a step back or miss a beat at all, right? You go to the college ball playoff. Yeah, you lose to Washington, but uh, Texas says, we're back. We're back to being one of the top contenders in college football. Quinn Ewers, that's a great place to start on the offensive side. He's back at QB1. I'm curious... Does Arch Manning push him a little bit? I, I think Arch Manning has no problem, by the way, biding his time and waiting and learning, but it's always good. Like you mentioned, you're only one play away from QB2 having to take over. They got to replace a lot on the outside, the wide receiver position, life after Jordan Whittington and Xavier Worthy. Uh, how quickly can those playmakers emerge on the outside offensively? And then defensively, Blaine, they were so good last year. You lose Bo Davis as D-line coach to LSU. Do not sleep on how big of a loss that is. Bo Davis regarded as one of the best defensive line coaches in college football. Texas is a team. Uh, you look at the returning production numbers, and Blaine, this is a good sign, 25th nationally in returning production, 70% of the production is what Texas returns. And you look at offensively, defensively, Texas, 74% back on the offensive side. 66% back on the defensive side. So there's reason for high hopes and high expectations for the Texas Longhorns. Again, there's experience all across the board. And I think continuing to see that development from Quinn Ewers take that next step, new playmakers emerge at positions of need. Going to be a lot of fun to follow this spring. Yeah, and it, it's all the new guys. I think that's one thing you can see in terms of the transfer portal, what they brought in weaponry-wise. Amari Nye Black at tight end. He's going to fit in nicely with Gunnar Helms there. And then also, when you talk about it, Golden, Bolden, and Bond. Just remember that. Golden, Bolden, and Bond, uh, you know, from Houston, from Oregon State, and from Alabama, those three guys coming in together, adding to Jonte Cook and some of these guys that they've they've had there that are going to, going to kind of, you know, progress a little bit. But Quinn Ewers, another, just another year in that system under Sark. Uh, excited to see it, excited to see what this offense can do. We know they've got talented running backs there with C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue, who who even with Brooks out last year, Jonathan Brooks, they they stepped up admirably and, and, and showed that they can make plays. So I think with Sark calling the plays and with all the experience and all the weaponry that they brought in via the portal, this is going to be a dangerous Texas offense once again. And Blaine, don't cringe when I say this, but as they say, Walk in your trap, take over your trap. That's what I feel like Texas has done to Bama. You go into their place, you beat their behinds, and then you take some of their best players from them, and those are going to be some of your top contributors in 2024. So like you mentioned, they're going to be excited to see how those guys gel, how they step up. And the player I'm most excited to hear about is the wide receiver from Alabama, Isaiah Bond. This dude was so clutch. I mean, we're all going to think about the fourth and 31, but he made so many big plays for Alabama throughout 2023. I think he's going to be best friends with Quinn Ewers, going to be a big-time playmaker for the Longhorns in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. And seeing him, hearing about him, 
in the spring, getting a glimpse of him in that Texas uniform in the spring game. I cannot wait to see it. Blaine, who's the Longhorn you're most excited to hear about as we go through spring ball? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just some of the guys who were phenomenal last year defensively that I think, like Anthony Hill, he was a freshman and he was a freak as a freshman at linebacker, and now they get him for another couple of years. I mean, he's going to be coming back with even more experience. So we know what it's all going to be a great show over there offensively, but when it comes down to it and you're playing uh, you're playing Georgia, you know, on October 19th, you're playing Oklahoma the week before that, can you get it done on the defensive side of the ball? Can you get key stops when you need to? Guys like Ethan Burke, uh, who who had a great year last year. Guys, like I said, Anthony Hill, uh, Malik Muhammad, all these guys who have been there and now come back. Who that secondary was rough. Okay, that secondary gave up. I think they were 120, 112th in the in the NCAA in the FBS division and in being able to stop the pass, it was not good, okay? So they've got to get better defensively, but I think right there in the middle, that guy controlling everything, Anthony Hill, is a guy I'm real excited about to see this year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Blaine, let's go to College Station as a new era begins at Texas A&M. Mike Elko taking over the reins. Here's something that may surprise you. Even after Jimbo Fisher's firing, and you would imagine there'd be a, a mass exodus of talent and players, Texas A&M is the top-rated SEC team when it comes to the SP Plus returning production rankings from Bill Connolly, Texas A&M ranks 18th nationally with 72% of their production returning from a season ago, 77% on the offensive side, 67% on the defensive side. Blaine, first thing, do those numbers surprise you? Because I was astonished when I read that because it felt like so many guys were on their way out, but then I realized it was like, you know what? I think a lot of those guys didn't make a big impact. I don't know that they were all that productive. So when you hear those numbers and what Mike Elko has to work with, it's an encouraging sign, number one. But number two, does it take you by surprise at all? I mean, it does just because you would think, oh, the, the wheels were falling off, everything was terrible. and then you, But like you said, when you step back, when you take a breath and you really examine it and look at who's back, who's left, how many members of that, you know, vaunted 2022 class, all that kind of stuff are, are still around. And you're like, hey, it's it's not as bad as I thought. You know, you can you can really, uh, really do some things with this team. I think that's why Vegas set their win total at eight and a half, uh, like you mentioned. So, you know, Texas A&M has a chance to be good, but that's every year at Texas A&M. You got a chance to be good because the talent is there. The talent is still there. 
Okay. They just have to be able to come out and execute better and be able to, I think, have a belief in what their coach is doing. They clearly did not with Jimbo Fisher, but I think Mike Elko, if there's one thing that he's known for is that, I mean, look at what he, he did at Duke with building the culture and building the belief and building the, the, the buy-in of that team. And I think you're going to see that in College Station with him, if not this year, then soon, because he's, he's, he's a good football coach. And Blaine, you mentioned you've got a chance to win every single year at Texas A&M because of the resources, because of the talent those resources bring in. And and obviously the first spring for a new head coach, especially for Elko, is right. You're going through that first spring. You're really instilling all of your systems, all of your culture, if you will. That's a buzzword in college football. Uh, but you look at this football team and the offensive side, there's going to be a quarterback battle, I think, for QB2. Connor Wegman, of course, he continues his rehab. I don't think, unless you know Blaine, I don't think he's going to participate in spring, correct, because yeah. of the injury? Is he going to be okay? Yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I would imagine not. Yeah, so Connor Wegman, he continues the rehab. I think some of the guys we obviously saw in the bowl game for Texas A&M, I've assumed they will handle most of the duties throughout the spring. 23 new faces. From the transfer portal, though. So, again, this is another team that relied heavily. And A&M did great work in the portal getting all those pieces to mesh. But but you made a great point, Blaine. And my overwhelming thought for Texas A&M is I follow and listen to Elko and we listen to these other coordinators. And I thought Mike Elko did a great job with his coordinators, especially Colin Klein on the offensive side coming from Kansas State. But this, I would imagine, you know, this is probably going to be the most fun spring that Texas A&M as a whole, the fans, those affiliated with the football program, have had in quite some time. Because there have been these crazy expectations for Texas A&M year after year after year. And Jimbo Fisher, he wasn't one to shy away from it or do yeah. anything to put out those fires. It was a circus. They won the offseason every year. The problem was that's all they won. And it's especially crazy, Blaine, when you think about Texas A&M, they haven't won 10 games in a season since 2012, back when Johnny Manziel was QB1. It's been that long. So we've just been putting these crazy expectations year after year after year. I'm so excited to watch Texas A&M, how they operate, how they move, how they look with a guy like Mike Elko, who's no nonsense, who's going to bring structure to that program, and for Texas A&M to move with little to no expectations. I think internally there's expectations, right? Because they hold their program to a high standard, but not having all that craziness from the outside and this outside noise. I just, I got to think that's going to be beneficial to the Aggies. And, I, and I'm just excited to see what a spring looks like for them away from some of that madness. Yeah, I think it's got to be fun to to have it a, a new slate, a clean slate, and just be able to to go forward and say, "Hey, let's let's see what we can build here. Let's see what we can have." You've got some of that leftover talent. You got some tremendous guys coming in, like a Des Ricks from from Alabama at, at corner that that should be able to to help you out. Will Lee comes over from Kansas State. You mentioned. Uh, Klein, Con Klein coming over as offensive corner. Will Lee coming over as a cornerback from Kansas State is a big deal over there. So, you know, I think with there's a good mix of guys who have been there, know what it means to be a part of the AM culture, but now you're going to have somebody in Mike Elko who I think is really going to connect with the players much better. Um, much like we, you know, much like we've we've mentioned with other guys, being able to connect. We mentioned it with with Charles. Uh, Kelly at Auburn as the defensive coordinator, that connection piece is going to be huge. And I think Mike Elko is going to let those guys know that he knows that he cares about them 
and, and be able to coach them in a way that is going to build some some unity there in Texas A&M when it's really felt like a, a bunch of mercenaries in the past that have kind of come together. Now it's going to really feel like a team, I think, in College Station. Um, so, you know, hey, got plenty of weapons at receiver, 100%. Noah Thomas is big, huge wingspan. Moose Muhammad – I think the guy can just take over games at certain times. They just didn't utilize him enough. And Jade Walker is a kind of a, a gadget guy, Swiss Army knife type guy that can do different things. So Connor Wingman, if he's healthy, he's going to have guys to distribute the ball to. Donovan Green should be coming back from that knee injury. So a lot to be excited about if you're Texas A&M. And Blaine, you mentioned really quickly, and we keep talking about it, you know, culture's maybe a word that gets overused in college football. It's one of those buzzwords that people are just like, God, just – I hear that over and over, but I think Texas A&M is proof. Like, culture alone will not win you football games. We've seen that at other schools, other coaches. But I think Texas A&M is proof that no culture also will not win you football games. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the right guy steering the ship, you are going to sink. You mentioned him a little bit earlier, the player I'm excited to hear about throughout the spring, Des Ricks coming from Bama. I, I think this dude has a chance to be a star in that Texas A&M defense. Who's the Aggie you're most excited to hear about from Mike Elko, from this coaching staff, as we go through spring? Yeah, a lot of talk about Walter Nolan leaving, right? And I think there's a couple of guys on that defensive line that were very uh, – kind of almost overlooked, I mean, highly touted, highly touted guys that came in, you know, even with Walter Nolan. Shamar Stewart and then Gabriel Brownlow-Dendy, those two guys on that defensive line, one on the defensive end and one at the nose tackle, I think they can combine to do as much as Walter Nolan did, maybe more uh, together if they really both raise their their level of play albert regis another guy in there but i think shamar stewart people don't realize he was a guy that at one point was viewed as the number one overall recruit in the country for a long time uh and i think he can be disruptive and i'm excited to see him do that with this this mike elko coach team blaine finally we turn our attention to nashville tennessee I see you shaking your head. The Vanderbilt Commodores. <laughs> how many storylines are there? How many Vandy fans are tuned in? Which, by the way, all love to the Vandy folks. I've mentioned this a couple of times. Those guys sent me a helmet. They sent me a football. Another team has done that, right? Vandy showing love. But uh, my question, Blaine, is this. Who is left on the roster at this point? Again, this was another one where it just felt like every single day another Vandy player was leaving. Like all the best players, it felt like from Vanderbilt, yeah. decided to get out of Dodge, which can you really blame them after a two-win season? The entire quarterback room left. I will say this. I thought it was a really nice pickup, Diego Pavia, which it's what a great storyline. This is a guy that beat Auburn last year at New Mexico State. Now he's the starting quarterback over at Vandy. Um, but for Clark Lee, and, and there's a lot happening with the Vanderbilt program, They've got these upgrades happening with the stadium and, and, and uh, you know, within IEL, they're trying to improve that situation. But it's like, can Clark Lee get Vanderbilt back to respectability? Because as weird as it sounds, Blaine, Vanderbilt was one of the most disappointing teams in the SEC last year. Oh, when yeah. you go back, I mean, Blaine, people were talking about during the summer, man, that, that over three and a half win total, that's the easiest bet of college ball. I'm talking about, the top college football personalities, our good friend Josh Pate, many others were going on record saying, take all the money you can, put it on Vandy over three and a half. And we found out very quickly early on, a lackluster win over Hawaii. You lose to Wake Forest. You lose to UNLV. That was really the tough one to swallow. 
you go winless in SEC play, and all of a sudden, I think it's fair. I mean, I know Vandy doesn't have crazy expectations in the slightest, but Clark Lee is entering a pivotal year. It's it's incredibly difficult to win at Vandy, but for Vandy, it's about getting back to respectability. Maybe you've got the quarterback on offense, but I don't really know what you have outside of that, Blaine, with you know Will Shepard, Jaden McGowan. I believe both are gone. I know Shepard for sure, but I, a lot of questions, not a ton of answers when it comes to Vanderbilt football right now entering this spring. Yeah, Vanderbilt's going to be get beat like they stole something most every game. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. It's not going to be good, uh, and it's you just buckle up. Buckle up and just just give that old good college try because uh, that's that's all it's going to be. Um, they don't have the support from the administration that they need to be successful. There's still some hurdles in the way of being taking taking athletics serious while also trying to balance their their great academics over there as well. But the the balance is skewed and. Clark Lee has one hand tied behind his back right here. So nothing against him, nothing against those kids that are going out and putting it out there. But until Vanderbilt decides they are serious about winning and not just content with collecting checks from the SEC, then I don't I don't have a whole lot to talk about with Vanderbilt, honestly. Blaine, in a world, too, with college football, where if, you, if your NIL situation is not where it needs to be, and to your point, you're not putting the resources forward to put your best foot forward as a football program. You have no chance. To say Vanderbilt is not doing those things is the understatement of the century. Good news, Vandy fans. Baseball season opening day is just around the corner. Uh, outside of that, though, Blaine, is there a Vanderbilt Commodore you're excited to hear about in spring? I mean, my, my attention goes directly to Diego Pavia, the quarterback. I mean, again, this is a guy who has an SEC win under his belt, which there's some others out there, some other SEC schools that can't say that, ironically enough. Uh, is there a Commodore that comes to the top of your mind that uh, you're excited to hear about, or is it a wash with the Commodores? <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you you know, uh, Darren Agu at defensive end is a guy that that I think is talented, can do can do some good things. Uh, C.J. Taylor, uh, he's going to you know, come back and, and do some good things. I mean, but when it comes down to it, I mean, you just got to – you just got to really see what you can get if you can get any kind of run game. So Cedric Alexander, mm -hmm. Chase Gillespie, can either one of them step up and be be something behind that offensive line? I think that's that, that's a big deal for for Vanderbilt if they want to have. You got to shorten games, right? You want to shorten games, you got to be able to run the football.